Hello and welcome to episode 71 of Panel Discussion. I'm Kyle Rose. And I'm Felix Sanchez. So today is our 2015 year in review as well as our preview of 2016. Uh, we're doing this a little late. It's already about mid-January, so we both had busy holiday weekends. I know I was in Michigan for the whole time and I was here but also really sick. <laughs> so I mean... Yeah. <laughs> so we were just now getting around to doing this. Um... A little, uh, I guess, shopkeeping, if you will. Um, our next episode will be Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller, which is something we've talked about doing but haven't done yet. It's going to be probably a pretty big episode because it's a, a lot of ground to cover with that particular book. But we thought with the combination of Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice coming out, which supposedly takes a lot of inspiration from it, as well as the fact that right now we're in the middle of Dark Knight 3 um, from Frank Miller, Claus Johnson, Andy Kubert, and um, Brian Azzarello. Uh, now would be a good time to kind of look back at the book that really kind of defined what the comic medium is like now, what the superhero genre is like currently. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge, hugely influential book. I mean, mm -hmm. we've done some Frank Miller before, but I mean, you can't really discount the impact he's had on the medium. Yeah. And honestly, like, we should have done a one-two with this where this one and then Watchmen, since it's kind of the combination of those two books, uh, really redefine comics for the modern age. But uh, that would be an eight-hour episode. <laughs> so we're going to start with Dark Knight Returns and go from there. And, and speaking of book club episodes uh, having to do with Frank Miller, um, our next one after Dark Knight Returns will be Daredevil Man Without Fear since the season two of Daredevil comes out in March. Mm -hmm. It's a book we talked about doing before. Yeah. We were going to do it last year around the time where Daredevil season one came out. For some reason we didn't. I don't remember why. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> so we're going to do it this year for Daredevil season two. So uh, stay tuned. Um, but first, once again, pay uh, stay tuned on Twitter for questions about uh, Dark Knight Returns and Frank Miller. And we'll roll that into the next one. Uh, so first getting into the questions for this year. Um, so just kind of a general uh, year in review 2015. What are your favorite comics of 2015? So Felix, kind of in general, what are some of your favorites uh, this year? Kind of things that highlights overall that stand out to you. So I did a lot of paring down of my pull list, which is something I've been talking about doing since... I don't know, about like a year and a half now. So it's significantly smaller. So what I've been reading all of last year and will continue to, uh, Sex Criminals, mm -hmm. Batman, Kaiju Max, Saga, Walking Dead, and Wicked and Divine. Those are the, the books that I enjoy consistently throughout the year. What okay. about you? Well, for me, um, I think overall the, the big highlight that tops my list, and I'll get to it a lot more later, is The Sculptor by Scott McCloud. Um, in terms of like ongoing series, Saga still, once again, continues to be really strong. Deadly Class really moved up on my list, and I'll talk about that later. I love the um, the Archie Universe reboot. Uh, the core Archie title itself is great, and I really love the Jughead title that Chip Zdarsky and Eric Henderson are doing. It's it's phenomenal. The yeah. Archie reboot in general, it's they've managed to balance those things that are classic Archie, but make you actually care, make it relevant for the modern age, and also make Archie not to be this like guy who dates every woman at Riverdale and <laughs> you know that, that kind of whole classic Archie trope where 
it was okay for him to be a man whore. Yeah, uh, everybody wanted Archie. Yeah, they've kind of they've they've tempered that a little bit and, and made it a little bit more you know acceptable and realistic. Um, I really like the the new kind of quote unquote riskier DCU titles. Mm-hmm. I think they're really solid. Unfortunately, I think the editorial mandates kind of go away from that now. So yeah. I think even with the titles that launched and originally were really unique and felt like creator owned titles, they're kind of petering out right now which is unfortunate but the the dcu titles um when they kind of did that whole rebranding if you will uh really solid and then um i'm kind of looking forward to the marvel shake-up i mean we kind of joked about the reboot that's not a reboot um one of the things i think going forward is the new creative teams and and some old creative teams that were doing well and i think going forward hopefully they've realigned some of the things and you know, like i know i've really enjoyed the brian michael bendis iron man run so mm-hmm. far so going to tweets for this question um specifically we asked um on our next episode uh will be our 2015 year in review so let us know what your favorite comics of 2015 andy whose twitter handle is at city man blue wrote harold county a hidden gem well worth checking out and matt chi whose twitter handle is at matt chi said batgirl probably which I've heard that's really good. I just have not had a chance to check it out. I hear if you pick it up where the Batgirl Burnside arc starts, you don't need to read anything before that. You can just kind of start it with that the, that run. So next question. So many comics to choose from. What's your favorite single issue from 2015? So for me, I've got, of course, as always, I can't really <laughs> pick one. Um, surprisingly, uh, there's not an issue of Saga on here. Which usually I have an issue of Saga as my favorite. Um, I would say first Batman thirty seven, which was uh, I don't know if it's it's not the penultimate. I think it's like the it's I think it happens in the middle of the End Game arc, mm-hmm. but it's uh, right in the core, the center of the End Game arc, where Batman essentially every all the cards are laid on the table. No pun intended. Where Joker really essentially says, "Okay, I know who you are, and I'm really going to screw with you." That's the one where he goes. And he figures out that patient zero for the Joker virus is Joe Chill, yeah. which is a brilliant, brilliant idea. The fact that everything started with Joe Chill, both in terms of Batman as well as this current outbreak. And then when he gets there to the, the where Joe Chill is being held, there's a recreation of the night that Joe Chill shot his parents with um, the little boy who saved him during zero year. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it, the everything kind of just all ties together that one issue just kind of brings so many things of not only scott snyder's run together but a lot of historical things for batman itself and it, it just that revealed to me that joe chill is patient zero and that that whole scene with the recreation of the that night it just was brilliant i feel like especially within endgame snyder really did that like that was it was almost. It almost felt like that was his goal. Was trying yeah. to bring in a lot of other things from from the lore and, and try to tie it in together. I mean, there was a whole thing I'll talk about later with uh, Quilt Man and the idea of yes. uh, Joker being immortal, etc. I really like. I really like that game for that for that fact. And also, he brought in a lot of things from his run. You know, like the bringing in the Court of Owls again, and it really almost felt like that could have been the end of his tenure the, you know the two of them Snyder yeah. and Capullo uh, yeah. that could have been the end of their tenure and even since then the stuff I've enjoyed the super heavy arc um, to me the super heavy arc feels more like an epilogue or almost like a new creator taking off 
from where Snyder left off, even though it is the same creative team. Mm-hmm. It almost feels like it's a new chapter or a new run uh, that's separate from the stuff that Snyder did all the way up through Endgame. But yeah, Endgame or Batman 37 for me um, was definitely from a superhero perspective. I also love Deadly Class 16, which I know you you haven't been keeping up on Deadly Class. I have not, no. Do you mind if I spoil it? Or do no, you... go okay. for it. So Deadly Class 16, which by the way, I have to say throughout this entire episode, spoilers abound. Just If we start talking about something, just pretty much expect spoilers. Um, Deadly Class 16, the thing that's been great about... I mean, Deadly Class in general has been a phenomenal series. But the thing is, like, they've been hinting at the fact that there are a lot of people who are there that are there because they're sponsored by a famous either crime family or some famous, like... Like, there's a reason they're there. They're part of a legacy that makes it so that way they're there to continue on whatever legacy they're part of, whether it's a, a crime family or a triad or um, a drug cartel or mm-hmm. whatever. They're part of something that, that has, like, a family lineage to it. Then there are these other kids that don't have that, Marcus being one of them, that seem to be picked at random as to why they're part of this institution. And, of course, Marcus just keeps getting into one thing after another. There's, there's the whole love triangle with Saya, and there's, you know, the things where he goes on a bender, and, and he, Marcus just keeps getting into one thing after another after another, and, and, you know, he's being blackmailed because of everything that happened. One of the other kids figured out that all this shit went down, and people got killed, and it was blackmailing Marcus, and, yeah. and, and then you get to the very end, and... The, at the end of chapter... Because uh, issue 16 is the end of the third arc... And you get to the very end, and they've been talking about the fact that the other thing that's been on everyone's mind is how the freshman class, which Marcus is a part of, is so much larger than the classes above them. Mm-hmm. And how how did they get there? How did they get to that point? Um, and then you get to the issue 16, the very end of it, uh, Marcus bursts into the auditorium where they're having like an assembly, and the headmaster's there saying, um, amongst you... Some of you are here because you have a lineage and because you belong here. There are some of you are here because you are rats. So your final exam for this semester, kill the rats. So basically everyone who's not part of... So the whole final exam is for the people who are part of the crime families to hunt out, figure out, and kill everyone who's not part of a crime family. Jeez. And so issue 17 opens up and it's this massive battle. Wow. It's fucking brilliant. It's like I, I this series I've, I've loved the series because I love the character dynamics and everything. It's been it's been a really fun like, uh, high school drama thing, but amplify obviously because they're learning how to kill each other. And then you get to the end, and now there's this massive like okay, kill or be killed, and you know there are specific people there. Their whole intention of being here this year was they were essentially the final exam, and Marcus being one of those. I'm trying to think where I left off. I think I left off. It's it's. Did they, did they go to Vegas? Or yeah. Just, all right. So that was, an, I think, in the first or second arc. Because it dropped off around issue eleven, and most of what you're saying sounds familiar that I actually did read, but I really need to pick that one back it's up. It's so point. good, and and Wes Craig is probably one of my favorite artists working in the medium right now. He's so phenomenal. His compositions, like one of the opening pages of issue seventeen, is just. Oh my god, is it gorgeous? Like it's I can't even I, I won't want to explain it because I won't be able to do it justice, but it's 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 phenomenal. 
And then another issue I had on here um, was uh, Superman American Alien number one, mm -hmm. which American Alien is kind of an anthology. Um, same writer. I, 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 Max Landis? Yes, Max Landis. Um, and essentially it's uh, these like a collection of short stories. But uh, issue one is also drawn by uh, Nick Dragata. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. And it's just, it's a really great story about Superman when he was a boy and, and how his powers manifest and how it, it affects his life. And, and they're, they're just, it's a, it was a really, really wonderful, uh, a unique take. And I think every single issue is going to be one of those kind of unique takes on how he grew up with these powers and, and how he found his place in the world. Is that a miniseries? Yeah, it's seven issues, but the, okay. I believe all the, all the stories are standalone and they're not connected. Every issue is drawn by a different artist. Uh, once again, I think emphasizing the idea that they're standalone stories. Right, right. So how about you? Um, so I picked Walking Dead 144. Um, that's, oh. that's the one where Rick confronts Alpha and mm -hmm. at the end of 143 where... Alpha shows him the <laughs> that crazy zombie army that they're mm. semi-controlling. Um, but, I mean, my favorite moment from that, which every time I finish an arc, I think, where is this book going to go? How crazy is this going to get? Because mm. it always seems as though he just one-ups himself every single time. And, and just when you think, okay nothing is going to compare to this i mean this this is all there is like after after the whole thing with negan all out war being oh yeah being two trades and um the road to war being another trade so it's it's really it's almost like 20 issues there yeah. alone for just that and then you've got the whispers all right here are the whispers no problem then you see the army okay now they're going home and then you see the border oh yeah which Throughout the issue, Alpha references the border a few times, saying, okay, you'll, you'll know the border. That's how you know not to cross into our lands. And then you get to the border and you see it's heads on spikes. And heads from people you've just met, people that you've seen the entire time, like Rosita and Ezekiel. And then you think, holy shit, this, this is going to be absolutely insane when this yeah. wraps up. Like, I don't know how... It's, I don't know how he just... How does he keep doing this? And my whole thing when I read that, I'm like, okay, this is 144. Why wasn't this 150? And furthermore, what the hell is he going to do in 150? Yeah. Because we know, you know, he historically, issue 50, issue 100, they, they always have these... He always does these massive, massive, like, cataclysmic things yeah. on these, like, pivotal, like, milestone issues. Yeah. Like, 50, 100. Now it's 150 is the next issue. It comes out next week. How is he going to, like, top what he did in 144? And obviously he's implied that he, what happens in 150 tops everything. Like, yeah. yeah. So how? Like, I don't understand. I don't know. I, that, that's why I love this book so much. You never see anything coming. And I think one of the most visceral and brutal things about that border is not only are they heads on pikes, but you get there and because they haven't done any brain trauma... They're still alive. They're mm -hmm. reanimated heads mm -hmm. on pikes. Yeah. So then they have to then go through and kill all the heads. And then they mentioned, well, where are the bodies? And um, what's the girl, uh, Alpha's daughter? 
Oh, I forgot her name. But Alpha's daughter goes, oh, well, that's because they probably took the skins to yeah. use them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, my God, yeah. that's so... That 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 happens in 145. Like, 143, 144, 145 are definitely my favorite issues of anything this year because I don't... I just... I don't understand how do you keep... Like, how do you keep ramping this up? I mean, this, this is a book that's been out for so long where it's 150 soon and it just keeps getting better and better and you never see anything coming. You oh, yeah. just don't. And Kirkman talks about that he planned this series to be really, really long. Because yeah. his whole thing about he loves zombie fiction, but the one thing is, you know, when you have the story, it happens, it ends, and then you don't really see you never really see the part in the zombie uh, apocalypse where it's been ten years since the apocalypse and how are they rebuilding society. And that's really the whole goal of Walking Dead is to explore that idea of how do you rebuild society mm -hmm. when all the factories are gone and you don't have... And now we're just getting to the point now where food's spoiled and they have to make food and then there's the issue about making bread and yeah, all that type yeah, of yeah. stuff. It's like now we're starting to finally just get into the stuff that Kirkman, after 150 issues, just get into the stuff that he really wanted to mm -hmm. explore. Mm -hmm. So obviously it's not going to slow down anytime soon. No. Um, I, I watched an interview with him... Um, from the summer I think it was from South by Southwest and at that time he said he had up to 200 already worked on and plotted and I think up to like 180 already written oh. so I mean he's he's created this huge buffer for himself that there there are not going to be any long breaks mm -hmm. as we see with other books you're definitely going to get an issue a month going forward and this is kind of a little interesting aside um, there's a podcast I listen to a lot of comic creator podcast there's one called Orbitals and Conversations and they had Charlie Adler done and they were talking about um obviously they, they, they went through which I didn't realize this he's got he's he's a veteran like he's been working in the industry for like 30 years yeah. and like 20 years I think it was 20 years um and uh he worked you know did a lot of stuff for 2000 AD and Judge Dredd and a lot of like the classic yeah. British stuff since he he comes from uh the UK and he was saying that when he was on Walking Dead, he was doing Walking Dead and Warlock at the same time. He was drawing, because remember we were talking about how mm -hmm. his art all of a sudden gets a lot better? Yeah. Well, that's because he was drawing two monthly books at the same time when he started Walking Dead. He was drawing Walking Dead and Warlock. And he thought Warlock was going to be the one that was going to be the commercial success. Really? And there were several times he resigned doing Walking Dead just to have Kirkman come and beg him to do another issue. And and then he would resign the next issue, and it just kept happening. Then the editor would call him and say, "Okay, we really need you to stay on this, on this thing." And then Warlock, he said, the only reason why he didn't, he he drew, I don't remember which issue it was, and he, he said that was he was firm, that was his final issue, and his and right before he went to do the normal, okay, I'm, this is it, I'm done now. Warlock got canceled. Oh wow! And he said if Warlock hadn't been canceled, he probably would have quit doing Walking Dead. Jeez. And that book would be completely different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I mean, that's one of the things I love about that series. I mean, obviously you have that first thing with uh, Tony Moore, but holy crap! Like the fact that you've had Adler on that book since issue seven, mm -hmm. and it's just the consistency is is that's great. It's phenomenal. It's great. I, I love, I love seeing a. a an artist's work evolve, especially mm -hmm. with just one title like this. Yeah. I mean, you you look at issue seven and compare that to issue forty or maybe even thirty, yeah. and you see the slight differences as they go on. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at issue 
You take 144 and go back to issue 7. It's like, it's not, it's night and day. <laughs> I mean, you can tell it's the same person, but oh, yeah. the improvement there is just unbelievable. And this is a guy who, when he started, already had 10, 15 years under his yeah. belt. Yeah. So moving on to the tweets for this question, Nerdy Pop Guy, whose Twitter handles at Nerdy Pop Guy, said, Perhaps because a friend was recently diagnosed with breast cancer, I found Thor number one to be incredibly moving. And Grant Flynn, whose Twitter handles at Grant Flynn twenty five, wrote, "Weird world number one, Marvel embracing its weirdness." So going back to what Nerdy Pop Guy said, I think one of the interesting things about the medium and the genre of, of superheroes is the fact that you know a lot of people look at these as oh they're kids books, they're blah blah blah, you know they, they right. don't take it seriously. I was at a Barnes and Noble recently and. Um, I overheard, a mo- and I wanted to, to go correct her, but I, it's not my place to, to pry in other people's parenting. But uh, um, I heard her mom say something to their kid about, oh, well, if, if you want to get uh, a comic, you have to buy it with your own money. We only support you reading real books. <laughs> and it's like I wanted to say, oh, that's, that's such a bad philosophy. But, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I mean, you have – Comics that have been turned into a, like Tony-winning Broadway plays, which by the way I'm gonna go see Fun Home next week. Oh, cool. Um, anyways, uh, so the idea that Thor, uh, a comic book about uh, a god alien essentially mm-hmm. from Asgard, it comes across on a rainbow bridge, can have a resonance with something that's so deeply personal and, and moving. I think it, it speaks to the fact that. Even though, yes, superheroes are fantastical and, and initially created for children and all this mm-hmm. type of stuff, there's a lot of really, really deep emotional stories that can be told through the medium and using them as a, a way to be a metaphor for something that everyone can relate to, I think is really powerful. And I, I really, I love when the you know creators bring in these really heavy, really kind of deep uh, subject matter that... Um, you know, you could easily do just like a, as the term you hate to sit, to use, slice of life yeah. sort of uh, <laughs> take on this. But, you know, having this idea of, of Thor, you know, now who is Jane Foster, spoilers, um, uh, who has breast cancer, who has this juxtaposition between being, when she's in her human form, incredibly sick, and then when she's wielding Mjolnir, have the power of the gods. Yeah. And that kind of going back and forth in that juxtaposition is is I think really powerful. Yeah, it is. And you know, I, I think it's even though comics have become more mainstream now than they ever were before and definitely different from when I was a kid, people still do have that opinion that it's kid stuff, that it's mm-hmm. you know, it, it it's not worthy of the time, that it's not seen as a valid mm-hmm. medium the way novels are or plays or whatever. But you know, I, I think I think that's slowly beginning to to change now that you're, mm-hmm. you're seeing a lot more of you know books like The Sculptor, books like Virgil no, coming out no. this year that that were huge and don't deal with those fantastical issues of being a superhero and mm-hmm. climbing on walls and fighting aliens and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I think I think slowly when people are starting to cover come around to how nuanced comics mm. are. And I mean, I, I think it's been happening for a few years now mm. anyway. I mean, the thing that hooked me into the medium and as well as the superhero genre, because when I got back into comics as an adult, I was reading a lot of, of 
non-mainstream stuff, which essentially translates to not superheroes. <laughs> um, and Civil War got me because Civil War was such a metaphor for the Patriot Act. Yeah. And what that yeah. what that meant for our country and how much say, uh, freedom were we willing to give up for our safety. Right. Right. And we just both read a synopsis for Civil War Two, which Bendis is writing, which I'm actually really excited about. When they first announced Civil War Two, I kind of rolled my eyes and thought, "Oh, great, a movie kind of tie-in." Uh, you know, it's not really written to be something interesting. It's written just because there's a Civil War movie coming out and they want to capitalize. Yeah. yeah, and but then you read the synopsis today that that Bendis talked about, where essentially it's a metaphor for the kind of idea of how far is too far for the police. And this whole idea of, of, of police brutality, you know, the, the essentially, the, if you haven't had a chance to read it yet, the core synopsis is a being, a new character shows up that can predict the future. And so there's a battle over how to use this power. One side thinking that they should use the power to see things that are going to happen in the future and stop crimes before they start and essentially detain people based on future events. And um, the other side thinks that you can't, police people before they commit the actions so it, it really kind of ties into that the whole debate about where cops role in society is right now and and um you know are police taking a proportional response measures versus are they going too far and i think once again another example of how this fantastical thing i mean obviously it revolves around a character who can see the future but still it, it's a metaphor for things that are really happening in the world right now yeah, and, and to go back to the one point about predicting crime and when to stop them, it, it speaks a lot to the NSA spying as well. Yes. Where you're consistently monitored and you had no idea about it and didn't yeah. agree to it, but it's there. And then you get into the murky waters of, okay, well, do we stop someone beforehand? Which mm -hmm. legally you can't, but mm -hmm. there are laws that are trying to be written and passed that says that you can actually mm -hmm. do this so it, it's a very timely book mm -hmm. just based on that synopsis for sure yeah so moving on to our next question you can probably guess what ours will be what's your choice for best ongoing series of the year walking dead i'm that's, not surprised yeah that's mine um I, <laughs> I, I think it's just like yeah I did read all of it in like a month and a half or, or yeah. whatever it was but I, I just I don't I'm just flabbergasted by this book and just the fact that it's it it's as good as everyone said it was number one mm -hmm. and keeps getting better mm -hmm. which is freaking amazing um I, I love the book it, it's great it's definitely become probably my my favorite comic that i'm reading right now um and then i think special consideration should be given to hawkeye the matt fraction annie david asia run which just finished this year which was great i mean it it had a lot of issues with um the release and and definitely took a lot longer than it should have to wrap up but that that was a great book as well and those are, i guess those would be my two my two picks, despite the fact that they're only about two or three Hulk issues in 2015. But yeah. Definitely worth it. What about you? Um, so I have to throw Saga in there just because it's Saga. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a phenomenal series. It keeps, it keeps, I mean, it's now almost 30, no, it, 
What is or what are we up to now? Thirty-two. Thirty-two. So yeah, it's thirty some odd issues in, and it still continues to deliver. The last issue has actually been one of my favorite issues in a long time, with Marco and Alana kind of working together again and seeing the chemistry between the two of them. I really love that issue. That's probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite issues of that series in a long time. Um, it's been a little slow this year. The reason I wouldn't put it first is you know the hiatus was longer than it ever has been. Yeah. It was almost four months this time, which is. Partially due to the fact that uh, Brian K. Vaughn launched two series, I think, in that time span. One, We Stand Guard and Paper Girls. Yeah. Um, as well as the fact that Fiona Staples was drawing the first three issues of Archie. So I think they were both really busy with other things. So that's what led to the hiatus being longer than usual. So it just didn't seem like we got a lot of Saga this year. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is another book that just kept getting better and better and better. And now I would put up with Saga in terms of my favorite two ongoing series tied would be uh, Deadly Class. It just, I, 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 I'm, I, I keep talking about it. A, Wes Craig's art is, it's, I would be hard-pressed if you put a gun to my head and said, who's the best artist working right now in comics? I would be hard-pressed to find someone better than Wes Craig. Like his, his stuff compositionally, character design, consistency, everything. Like his, his work, like the opening page of issue 17 it's hard to do it justice i think i sent it to you the other day yeah yeah it's a beautiful page the the, the top panel is like a top down um bird's eye view shot of the opening doors of the school and everyone fleeing out of it and this kind of crazy perspective and then you have these like tiny little intercut panels that are kind of sprinkled almost like confetti that fall down the page mm-hmm. of scenes of violence, people getting stabbed and people getting shot. And, you know, because it's, it's as I described earlier, this all-out, like, battle that they're having. And then the bottom panels kind of start progressing the story forward. But those little confetti panels fall all the way down to the bottom. It's just, it's beautifully laid out. And that perspective shot, it's just, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous page. And that's just indicative of everything that he does. And mm-hmm. he's... And he's a great guy too. I've talked to him at several cons. He's a really approachable guy, but his art is just so amazing. And Rick Remender is a phenomenal writer, and, and I would say this is easily his best book right now. Um, and then another kind of little tip of the hat, as always, to Batman. Oh yeah, uh, Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, continue to deliver. I'm going to be curious to see what happens. They haven't solicited much further past issue 50. Mm-hmm. I think 50 is actually the last issue they've solicited. So there have been rumors that Snyder and Capullo are moving on uh, uh, after heavy or uh, super heavy. So we'll be. I'm really curious to see. I know Snyder mentioned something to the fact that Greg Capullo is leaving for a little bit to go do uh, the thing that all big artists do and do a, a mini series with Mark Millar. It seems <laughs> to be the thing that. You know, every hot artist right now has to go do a, a mini series with Mark Millar that then inevitably gets adapted into a movie two years later. Um, so Kabul is going to go off and do the Millar mini, and then supposedly him and Snyder have something big planned. They haven't said what it is yet, but they said that it's going to be bigger than what they've been doing. So my guess, because and this is just once again, it could be me going out on a limb, but I would say that Jeff Johns right now is in the middle of the Dark Side War where he's essentially wrapping up his run on Justice League. I'm almost wondering is after Jeff John leaves Justice League, if Snyder and Capullo are going to take on Justice League. Mm. That would be interesting, yeah. 
So they, they did say that they have plans to collaborate together again at DC yeah. in the very near future. Yep. And it's they have something big planned. Um, so then my also question would be, is, obviously I think it's definitely been confirmed that Capullo is leaving after his contract's up with Batman. Um, so he'll probably be on a different DC book. But will Snyder still stay on Batman or will they put a different writer on it? Because we've heard in the past rumors of like maybe Sean Murphy or mm-hmm. maybe... Um, I'm trying to think who some of the other people that he works with on a regular basis. Sean Murphy being one of the big ones. Um, oh, um, uh, Raphael Albuquerque, who does uh, um, American Vampire with right. him. Uh, so will will someone else be on the book with Snyder, or will Snyder leave the book with Capullo? Who knows? We'll see in the future. But as of right now, I would still put Batman at the top of my list for superhero stuff. Yeah, definitely. So uh, tweets for this question. Comic Book Evangelist, whose Twitter handle is at Comic Book Evangelist, said, Revival from Celia Norton, huge twists and revelations happened in 2015. <clears throat> and Noel, whose Twitter handle is at Noel Thorne, wrote, Miss Marvel by an embiggening country mile. Uh, Annie, whose Twitter handle is at City Man Blue, said Saga. And Fist of Country, whose Twitter handle is at Fist of Country, wrote Grayson. So next question, from event books like Secret Wars and Book of Death to create our own work like Chrononauts, what's your favorite 2015 miniseries? So for me, it was easily Airboy by James Robinson and Greg Hinkle. Oh, I need to read that. It's it's really good. It's only four issues. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's really solid. If you're not familiar with it, the, I'm not going to get to it too much since I know you want to read it. But the core premise is that um, both, essentially it's kind of almost like a fear and loathing sort of thing where it's a story about them making a story, which if you don't know the, the history of <clears throat> Fear and Loathing, essentially Hunter S. Thompson went to the the uh, desert in Nevada to cover a motorcycle race for, um, I believe it was uh, Sports Illustrated. And when he got there, he wrote this crazy story about this bender. He went on covering this event, and uh, Sports Illustrated rejected it, but then Rolling Stone gladly picked it up and published it, and then it subsequently turned into this like semi-autobiographical novel that he wrote. Airboy is kind of the same thing. Um, essentially, the story is about James Robinson and Greg Hinkle, the two creators of the book, who get this license for this old Golden Age character that no one's done anything with, which is an actual real Golden Age character, mm-hmm. Airboy, and them figuring out how they want to proceed with creating this character. And they basically lock themselves in a hotel room and start drinking and doing a lot of drugs and and end up hooking up with with uh, hookers and and all kinds of crazy stuff. And um, then at the end of issue one, Airboy himself shows up. <laughs> so you have a lot of like fourth wall breaking. Right. But it's just it's a it's definitely not for kids. I mean, there is a lot of uh, genitals. <laughs> in, in this book uh there's a lot of use of substances um a lot of vulgarity i mean it's it's definitely not a book for kids but it's it's just it's brilliant in every way greg hinkle's art is just so phenomenal like i i really i mean i've talked about this on on the podcast before like i really love more of a uh our cartoony uh animated style and greg hinkle has that style and it's just pinpoint perfect and then the writing's great, and it's really, it's definitely self-referential about how I know James Robinson has talked about the fact that he's kind of become known as like this golden age sort of writer, and he, he doesn't like that, doesn't like writing for comics anymore, and he talks about in the book, 
his character talks about not wanting to write for DC anymore. And oh, really? It's, yeah, it's, re- it's just it's a phenomenal series, and every single issue is great. And yeah, it's it's it's. I, I don't think it got as much attention as it should have. But Airboy definitely for me is it was, was the best mini of this year. Um, all also mentions Multiversity just because it wrapped up this year. I mean, it, it made, the core of it was in 2014, but it wrapped up at the end of 2015. Mm-hmm. And Multiversity is possibly one of the best superhero stories been that's been written in I don't know how long. Um, and I'll get to it later. The trade came out and it's gorgeous. Um, but definitely, you know, I want to mention Multiversity as well as We Stand Guard. I don't think it was the best Brian K. Vaughan thing ever written, but it was still really solid. Yeah, yeah, I picked it up. I haven't read it yet, though. It's six issues. It's it's good. Um, it's like I said, it's not the. And I think it's probably because I mean, well, you look at the really good stuff that Brian K. Vaughan does. They're more long runs right. sort of things where he right. really has time to build a world and all that type of stuff. And I think with We Stand Guard, it, it's it's a little brief. Um, for the type of work that and the type of pacing that he normally does. Mm. How about you? What was your favorite mini? I didn't read many. Um, I, I think I bought more than I actually sat down and read. But I read Chrononauts. Uh, mm. Did like it. Can't wait for the movie because that's definitely going to happen. Um, and with those things, it seems like the movie's always better than the, <laughs> the, the first draft that is the comic. The, exactly. Mar. The first draft of the, that is the comic. And... Um, Godzilla in Hell, which um, is another book that didn't really get too much press after the first issue was released, but it's good. I mean, there's not much of story there in way of actual writing, um, but it's it's a visually stunning book, and the artist continuously changed throughout um, the miniseries itself, and it tells a pretty good story. It, it's great to look at. I mean, there, there are a few issues there where it's just nothing but splash pages, and mm-hmm. it's just awesome. A lot of detail in in the comic as well, but... And they just announced a new uh, Godzilla miniseries along the same vein, didn't they? Uh, yeah, I read something about that. I, I, I saw well, I saw the headline for it. I didn't actually read the the article based on it, but there there is something else coming up about it. Oh, Godzilla Oblivion. Oh, that's the one. Yeah. Is it um, IDW again? Yep, IDW. So tweets for this question. Comic Book Evangelist, whose Twitter handle is at Comic Evangelist, said. Twilight Children, it's only halfway through. So, our next question. What's your pick for best new trade or graphic novel of 2015? Um, so, I had three picks. Um, one of them is obviously The Sculptor, because mm-hmm. how could you not have enjoyed The Sculptor? Um, we spent so much time talking about it. It's just brilliant in, in every yeah. way. I actually picked it up randomly Um a few months back again and just sat down and read the whole thing because it's just so good it's just mm. such a great book from start to finish it's amazing it's just I can't do I can't do it any justice by even just talking about it um, and then my other two picks were Virgil by Steve Orlando amazing phenomenal story I still need to read that one it's it's great um, it's not very long but there's a lot there mm. and it, it's a very deep story um, for lack of better words, but it, it's it's really good. I, I I've been meaning to read it again, um, but it, it's very different from what you would expect. And there there are a lot of different turns he could have taken with the story that he did not, which I thought was brilliant. Um, and then my last one would be Killing and Dying by Adrian Tomenay, which was mm, very good as well. I haven't read that one yet either. It's on my bookshelf. It's good. It's really good. I mean, it's just I, I believe it's five or six 
different stories, but I mean, they all sort of intertwined with each other in terms of yeah. the emotion and, and the tone for each. Yeah. And I read, I read one of them I, or one or two of them. I read, cause it's a collection from his, um, mm-hmm. from Optic Nerve. Mm-hmm. And I read the last issue of Optic Nerve and it had the one story with the girl who's a comedian. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which, that was a great story. Which that is just, it's such a heart wrenching story. Yeah. It's it's really, really good. Yeah. Um. So definitely, that's on my it's on my massive stack of things, uh, along with Virgil the Reed. Um. For me, uh, heads and tails easily the sculptor. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about this before, as you uh, mentioned. Uh. To me, it, it redefines what medium can do and what can what it can be. Um. I had the privilege of uh, right soon. Like I read the book as soon as I got my hands on it. Um. And then I went to Mocha, and it was right after I finished reading it, and and McLeod was there uh, at Mocha. He did a lecture. That's right. Yeah. And the other cool thing about it was he also, at the same time the sculptor was released, they released that year's uh, edition of Best American Comics, and McLeod had uh, edited, been the guest editor, and he had done something that no one else had ever done before where he basically created an arc throughout the entire Best American Comics. He had an intro for, uh, he broke them up into sections, had an intro for every section, and he talked about the fact you had to read the book from beginning to end, cover to cover, because it it made sense if you read it that way. It was brilliant. Mm. And I I had the, the, like I said, I was very fortunate to go see a lecture with him where he talked about Best American Comics and the sculptor and his process of making the sculptor and how he basically had the idea for this book for the last 20 years that he's been working on and when he actually sat down to write it he didn't write a script and then do the book he actually wrote it while he was thumbnailing it because to him and this is what i love about his work and and him being the the basic quintessential philosopher for comics and sequential art is how for him because a comic is a visual medium if you're writing it you can write a shot of a crowd but it doesn't have the same impact as seeing mm-hmm. the shot of a crowd and so for him as he was thumbnailing it he wrote it and that to him is like and it makes total sense that that's like for a medium that's words and images you really can't write it and get the best out of it unless you are writing the words and the images at the same time right. and uh, I mean I think it shows and, and some of the choices he made We've talked about it in the past, like the blank page. Mm-hmm. I mean, just some of the choices that he's made from a visual storytelling perspective are just brilliant in that book. And the story itself is just amazing and so heartfelt. And it's it definitely it's if you're a creative person and that 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 kind of and I think that's the other reason why it connected with me so much is it connected with me on a personal level as a creative person, where you have this feeling like your life is no matter how long it will be is is too short and you'll never be able to make as much as you want to and this is obviously a heightened version of that mm-hmm. where he had a limited amount of time to make as much art as he can and you know the whole struggle between success and what is success for an artist and just it's it it feels like it was written perfectly for people like me and yet at the same time it's such a universal i mean the specifics of the book being about a creative person and an artist, I think translates to everyone in yeah. terms of, yeah. you know, your impact and what you leave behind and how much time you have left and how you choose to spend that time. And it's just such a universal story about life in mortality. general yeah. and mortality. It's just, I, I can go on and on and on about 
the book and the fact that he has a grid, but you don't like unless you, you you're told that there's a grid, you don't really realize that there's a grid. Mm-hmm. It's just it's so well done. I, I I could talk about that book forever. It's probably my favorite graphic novel ever. Period. I mean, it's it's a phenomenal book. Yeah, it's um, great. Second nods, which one I'm surprised you didn't have on your list. Um, I would definitely say once again my my honorable mentions would be one multiversity, which I already talked about. The trade, the book itself is a phenomenal miniseries. Uh, to me, it's just just a wonderful deconstruction of the superhero genre. Um, Grant Morrison at the top of his game, no doubt. Uh, the trade itself is gorgeous. Like the, the hardcover, you take the dust jacket off, and on the inside is that map of the multiverse that he had that was a promotional piece for the series. Just the book itself, at the back of the book, they've got Morrison's thumbnail sketches and stuff because famously Morrison actually thumbnails every single one of the issues that he writes. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's I can't say enough about if you love the Multiverse miniseries, the collection, I believe it's like 50 bucks. It's it's not a cheap book, but at mm-hmm. the same time for what you get, it's a, a, a reasonable price point, but it's just, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous collection. Um, but the one that I'm surprised you didn't have on your list is Nimona. Oh, that's right. It's probably because I read it so... Oh, man, I read it so recently and completely forgot I read it. Yeah, Nimona is... Oh, Nimona uh, was wonderful. Yes, Nimona is... If if the uh, if Sculptor hadn't come out this year, I probably would have picked Nimona. I, oh, man. Yeah. I, and, and I know why I forgot about it, because I, I, I keep a running list of everything, yeah. and I have not added it to the list. Yeah. But yeah, Nimona was great. That was such a good book. It's it's very it, once again it plays to the tropes of the superhero genre as well as fantasy. But it's kind of like fantasy, kind of like sci-fi. It's kind yeah, of this yeah, nice yeah. hybrid. And the character Nimona herself is just so quirky and so just unlike anything else that you've seen. And it just like things just like I'm a shark. I'm a shark. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's, it's really fun and it works. It's one of those, it's a perfect example of, I think we've seen a lot of this this year, a lot of all ages stuff. There's been a lot of really great examples of all ages work where you would be comfortable giving it to a kid. Yeah. But at the same time, as an adult, you get such a, a deep appreciation and enjoyment out of the book. And I really can't say enough about Nimona. It's such an amazing book. Um, Noelle Stevenson is a phenomenal creator uh, sad that she left Lumberjanes because I love Lumberjanes as well and uh, and her kind of unique voice uh, you can definitely see I mean it's been good so far since she's left but you can definitely see the lack of her voice mm. in it um, And but yeah Nimona is just it's a great book it's a fast read too yeah. and the fact that it was a webcomic Yay, go webcomics. Um, <laughs> the fact that it was a webcomic and then was collected into a trade, I think, is indicative of a lot of things that we're starting to see in terms of creator own series. Where I think, you know, you look back and you look at like strong female protagonists, you look at Nimona, you look at um, uh, Cameron Stewart, who does um, uh, Fight Club 2. He yeah. has a book, which once again, it was uh, a, a webcomic that collect, got collected. Um, Wes Craig does Black Hat comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see a lot of these um, hot, uh, really kind of big name creators. Um, uh, Space Bullet, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Daniel Warren Johnson. You know, all these web comics that then get collected into hardcover editions and become bestsellers. I think is really kind of uh, a pattern you're going to start seeing more of going forward. And Nimona is 
I think, one of the best examples of how to do it right. And Mono was so good. I can't believe I forgot about that. Yeah. And the other thing, uh, a little another tip of the hat, um, anth- uh, an anthology, just because I didn't know where else to put it, there's uh, the tribute to Charles M. Schultz, which they got a bunch of high, you know, like high-profile, big-name comic creators to do a little tribute, either one-page or multi-page, little tributes to Peanuts. And it's just, if you A, if you love Peanuts, and B, it's just a great collection of amazing creators kind of just showing their love for characters that, you know, inspired them. Right. So I think that, and the the presentation of the book, well, it's just, it's a really well, well-designed, well-put-together book. So I'd definitely say that the Peanuts tribute is also another... Uh, highlight this year. Moving on to tweets. His question, Nerdy Pop Guy, whose Twitter handle is at Nerdy Pop Guy, wrote, Two Brothers was beautiful." Which have you read? Two Brothers? Nope. I just started it the other day. It's really good. Fabian Rangel Jr., whose Twitter handle is at Fabian Rangel Jr., said, "Nanjing, the Burning City." And Matthew Bernard, whose Twitter handle is at underscore Matthew Bernard, wrote, "It's without a doubt the sculptor." And I actually have um, Nanjing, the Burning City. Um, there was a Dark Horse panel that I went to at New York Comic Con. Ethan Young, the guy who created the series, or the series, a graphic novel, um, was there at part of the panel. And um, after hearing about the book, I immediately went to the uh, Dark Horse table and uh, picked it up. Um, I have not read it yet, but it's, it's definitely one of those books that is, uh, along with Virgil and <laughs> all the other books I've mentioned, is on the top of my list. Um, and, uh, yeah, once again, I like seeing the story behind the stories or hearing him talk about it. Right. At um, the Dark Horse panel at uh, Comic-Con, uh, I definitely needed to pick up the book, and, and I, I'm, as soon as I find time, I can't, look, I can't wait to read it. Our next question, sequels, debuts, and reboots. What feature film topped your list this year? So I think this one's going to be pretty obvious. Yeah, Fantastic Four, right? Yeah. <laughs> Damn it, you ruined my joke. I was going to do that. I was actually, Were you? Yeah, I was gonna, oh, I thought you were being sincere. You know, I, was, I, was gonna, I was going to ruin... I was going to... Well, the thing is, you were... Oh, oh man, you ruined it. I thought, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Star Wars. I was going to say, no, of course, Fantastic Four. Uh, but you ruined my joke with a uh, joke. So it's 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 fitting. It's, it's kind of funny, though, Great Minds Think Like, that we both <laughs> went there. <laughs> I, I totally thought you were going to be sincere, but... Nevertheless, <laughs> man, you ruined my setup. Um, so yes, uh, in all seriousness, I mean, you really can't get much better than The Force Awakens. I mean, it was. I, I we could do three podcasts that were each probably you know five hours long and talk about every little aspect of of The Force Awakens. It it was, and I mean, granted, once again, I think it, you if you've listened to any episode of the show, you know that Star Wars is like the thing that is like it's it's my favorite thing <laughs> there's no other way to describe it beyond it's my favorite thing is star wars um and i mean my god did they deliver did they deliver a film that works not only as a star wars film but works as just a great film unto itself mm-hmm. and you know, there was a lot of speculation going into it. I think, first off, okay, spoilers. Um, but I, by the time you got, okay, I don't know how where to even begin with this film. Um, Luke Skywalker, okay, I'll even back up even further. Um, 
for me, like I said, Star Wars is my favorite thing, and uh, my dad was a huge fan, and is still a huge fan of the franchise, and when I was a kid, he had it on all the time. Like, mm-hmm. it was either A New Hope, or Empire Strikes Back, or Jedi, or whatever, like, it was always playing. So it just kind of was always this thing that I absorbed through osmosis of Star Wars, and I knew always knew who Luke Skywalker was, and so for, for me, ever since I was a kid, the archetype of who a quintessential hero is his is and always probably will be Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Like to me, Luke Skywalker is the archetype, the template, if you will, for a hero. By the time I got to the end of this film, it was like Luke Skywalker. Who? <laughs> Ray is such a phenomenal character, oh, yeah. and I love one of the things I love the most about what they did in terms of of leading up to this movie is they made you think that Finn was going to be the Jedi. Mm-hmm. They made you, with all the marketing, with everything, with the fact that even in the, the toys, who had the lightsaber? It wasn't Rey. It was Finn yeah, that had Finn. the lightsaber. When And that, that misdirect is just so... was such a brilliant play. Because you, you really think that Finn's going to be the guy that is the Jedi. And then... Ray is just such a phenomenal character and every aspect of her she's so complex mm-hmm. she's so you know I was talking about with one of my other friends and he was talking about the fact that you know one of the, the traps that people fall into when they create female superhero or not really superhero but female hero characters is to make them very one note like she's an awesome badass I did you know, kick the shit out of guys and all that right, type of stuff right, and, right. and um, then you have Ray who's just so emotionally complex and so rich and so multifaceted and just happens to be a woman. Like, they don't really belabor. And, and there's a really good way, another one of my friends pointed out, they kind of address the gender issue at the beginning with the whole thing with Finn constantly grabbing her hand and her going, stop grabbing my hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Finn gets knocked on his ass and and she goes to pick him up and he looks at her and says, are you okay? And the look she gives him, like, am I okay? You're the one on the <laughs> ground, asshole. Like... <laughs> And uh, but they dress it there and then they move on from it. Yeah. But and then you have the idea of just that relationship of Finn and Ray, who are essentially complete opposites. They're perfect foils for each other. You know, you have Finn on the one hand who pretends to be the hero, pretends to be this guy who he's not, and pretends to be big and 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 bombastic and and you know the the the, the knight in shining armor yeah. and all this type of stuff. He's a big but, deal. But in yeah yeah I'm a I'm a big deal. <laughs> um, but in actuality he's running. He's on the run from the from the first order. He's mm-hmm. afraid of the first order. He's and I don't want wouldn't go as far as saying he's a coward, but he definitely isn't the person who he pretends to be. Yeah. On the other hand, you have Ray, who wants to stay put. She wants to stay where she is. She wants nothing to do with any of this stuff. So you have these kind of complete opposite characters that are perfect foils for each other, and they play off each other so well. And then the rest of the cast. I mean, Poe Dameron's a phenomenal character. Mm-hmm. Um. I love, I mean, you know, there are mixed things about having, once again, major spoilers, about having Han Solo die. But at the same time, the fact that it was kind of Han's last ride, and he was, even though he died, he was, the of the original three, the one featured most heavily. That felt so suiting mm-hmm. to have it be like Han's last ride and have it be his final storyline. And it just it fits so well. And then Adam Driver, I thought was phenomenal as Kylo Ren. And he was everything that Anakin Skywalker should have been. Like that kind of, that combination of he doesn't have his emotions in check and he's kind of unhinged. 
but at the same time, he doesn't come off as just a whiny crybaby. Right. Like Anakin did. <laughs> it's just, it's every aspect of it. And then just, I mean, I know a lot of people are complaining that the uh, the plot was essentially A New Hope, which a lot of ways, it, the plot very heavily right. mirrored A New Hope. But the thing is, having that be that way, you know that plot works, you know that, that kind of core idea works. So it kind of almost lets the plot get out of the way, so that way you can really explore the thing that to me is the most interesting from the whole movie was the characters. Mm -hmm. And it really allows you to get heavy into these characters and who they are and their motivations. And, and really, you know, like I said, by the time you get to the end of the movie, you are such a fan, or at least for me, I was such a fan of Ray. And she had me so, like, engrossed. I, I didn't, like, the first half of the movie, I was thinking, well, where's Luke? Where's Luke? Where's Luke? By the time you get to the end of the film, you don't care that Luke hasn't shown up. And to me, that was a brilliant play because if they would have had Luke show up, it would have been like, oh, the hero's finally here. Yeah, yeah. But they let Rey come into her own and really own, have that arc of hers where, you know, the moment she, I love that scene. It's probably my favorite scene in the movie where the lightsaber's in the snow. Kylo Ren has just basically beat Finn. And he's reaching out to try to grab the lightsaber, who, which he feels is rightfully his. And if finally takes off, flies past his head, almost smacking him in the head, and then Ray grabs it. Mm -hmm. Like, that to me is like, that's like the perfect moment in that movie. Yeah. And then, of course, she kicks his ass, and it's just, it's so great. And, you know, the poetic symbolism, the idea of when they're going in for the final kind of fight where uh, the Starkiller base is charging to attack the Resistance, and they're like, as long as there's light, we still would hope, you yeah. know, and that yeah, yeah. thing where... You know, Han and Kylo Ren are on the catwalk, and um, the the sun goes out, so you see the shadow slowly creep across his face mm -hmm. as he finally commits to the dark side, and just all the symbolism, and just, I can go talk on and on and on and on for hours about this film. It really, 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 really paid off. It was a great film. I cannot wait to see what, what where they go with it next, and I've seen it three times already. I want to see it again. And again and again, I could watch that film over and over again. I've literally, since the film has come out, I've pretty much only listened to the start, the soundtrack from that film. I bought the Art of book, which is, uh, uh, first off, I love getting Art of books because I like seeing once again the story behind the story, and they really allow you to get inside the creators' heads if you want to make stories yourself, like I do. And the thing that's so great about the Art of Star Wars: The Force Awakens is normally they're organized by like character design, set design, prop design storyboard that sort of thing well the the art of force awakens is organized chronologically by the production cycle so it huh. starts off with the very first meeting where they talked about what what the film was going to be and the very first question abrams asked is who is luke skywalker mm -hmm. who is he now 30 years later who is he now that he's had all this stuff happen to him who is he at this point in the story and that is the crux of what this how what the story was built on is who is luke skywalker and then they went through it, and you see the production of like the evolution of Kylo Ren, who was, for the longest time, just simply called the Jedi Killer. And you see the evolution of how they wanted to make him be not too Darth Vader, but they wanted some of those elements. And right. It's, it's a, a beautifully constructed book that really kind of gives you an idea of how the movie came to be. And once again, I can go on and on and on forever. Um, I'm going to stop now to let you talk. <laughs> um, other things I would also give... If Star Wars had not come out this year and had it not been Star Wars, I probably also would have picked Mad Max Fury Road, which we've talked about a lot on the show as well. So, I 
my favorite film. I I split this up by favorite film and the actual best thing I've seen. Yeah. So favorite film was Ant Man, just because you know, I didn't didn't really have a lot of expectations for it whatsoever, mm-hmm. and I saw it in a theater well after it was released, and. I loved it. It was so great. I loved the acting. Michael Pena was hilarious in it. Like it was just a great heist movie for what it was. But it it was good. It was it was really good. It was definitely my favorite film of the year. But the best thing I saw would have to be Mad Max Fury Road, which we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's a movie that works on so many different levels. Yes. There's you know that, that's what I love about it too because you have there are two edits that fans have made, which I think. Are gone now because you know copyright issues and everything but you know there's talk about George Miller doing the uh, black and white edit at mm. some point and then re-releasing that in theaters at some point this year which I, I don't know if that's actually going to happen or not I don't know if it would work some of the things oh, I like are the, the, the color the tones and the, it works the, really there's there's a fan made version which I don't know if it's still up it was on daily motion for a while and then it got taken down the colors are so that's one of the things I loved about that film was the, the color yeah. mood with like the bright the warm hues and when they get into the swamps and the cool nice cool tones yep. where everyone's like depressed and, yeah like the color to me is part of what yeah. tells that story it works huh and it's that's that's the beauty of this film. It works on so many different levels. And there's also another fan-made one that's um, it's essentially there are two. One was one was uh, a silent a silent film, which I think it could work on. Um, which is it's it's great. I, I only saw maybe I don't know probably a half hour of that one. It's great. It's just a score. That's it. Yeah. And like the dialogue's there. Obviously, I mean they don't remove any of the scenes, but it just it just doesn't matter. It's still it still mm-hmm. works. I think that's the great thing about this film. It just it works on so many different levels. You don't need to know anything about the Mad Max universe. Nope. They give you as much information as you need when you you still have questions through and through. But and they give you exposition visually. Yes, that's what I love yes. the most. Is you don't like you. There's all these different tribes that are trying to come after Furiosa, mm-hmm. and they don't tell you their backstories. But you don't you know their backstories. You yes. just look at them and you know the backstories. Like the the obviously the main antagonist um uh, immortal joe they're the water mm-hmm. essentially tribe that has all the water then you have the tribe that has all the oil and then you have yeah. the tribe that has all the ammunition the bullets and just you can see visually with the design of the characters and how they act where they come from and what they represent within this world it's just it's so well done no it, it's a beautiful film visually stunning I mean, that, that first scene, well, not the first scene, uh, uh, when the uh, car chase actually starts, mm-hmm. where you see everyone chasing you after. You mean the whole movie. <laughs> you, well, yeah, I mean, it's an extended fucking car chase. It scene. is a car chase. It is, but it, it works. It, it, it works. It's, it's wonderful. But just that one scene where you see everyone going after Furiosa oh, yeah. and Wives and, you know, you have that guitar player. Oh, it's so amazing. And then you have the guys on a stilt. I mean, it's just... It's just such a really, really good movie. It yeah. really, really is. I, 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 I do wish a little bit that I had seen it before the hype because I didn't see it until well after. Same here. I, I, I think I saw it in November. I think. Oh wow. Yeah. No, I mean I saw it probably three weeks after it came out. Yeah. No, I, I didn't even see it in theaters. I, I wish I had. It was amazing to see it in theaters. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I would go along with you where I would say that for me, Star Wars would be my favorite film of the year. But I would say just from a. a critical perspective Mad Max is easily the best film of the year yeah it's amazing 
Yeah. Absolutely amazing film. So, uh, tweet for this question. Um, I originally tweeted this out uh, early December. So, on December 15th, uh, Cole Kennedy, whose Twitter handle is at ComicFanCK, said, Let me answer this in two days. Which, of course, would be two days before Star Wars came yeah, out. Yeah. And Fist of Kunshu, whose Twitter handle is at Fist of Kunshu, wrote, Not original, don't care. Mad <laughs> Max Fury Road. Simple, brutal, dramatic, bizarre masterpiece. I think masterpiece is probably the perfect word to describe that movie. Yeah, I think so. It's like like you were talking about earlier. It the the amount of information, and this is what I love about it, is the amount of information that's told visually. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the subplots that are there's no dialogue at all, but you have these rich subplots that are conveyed through things like a boot, like mm-hmm. the fact that Max's boot comes off. And then later he seals the boot from the the um, the war boy played by um, Beast. Uh, what's his name? Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt, yes, played by Nicholas Holt. And then later, after you know Nicholas Holt kind of starts helping them and and he kind of accepts him, he you know steals the one boot off the body and, and hands it to Nicholas Holt. So there's just that idea of that the evolution of that relationship between Max and the war boy. And being the whole thing being told through the boot. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's brilliant. It's so subtle and simple, but yeah, it worked very well. Um, next question: uh, What novels or nonfiction books did you immerse yourself in this year? So, I read more books this year than I have um, in a single calendar year in a very long time, probably ever. Um, I read twenty five books in twenty fifteen. Jesus, which. Um, you know, it, it spans fiction books, it spans uh, poetry, which you know obviously still counts, plays, um, biographies, and such. Um, I just I just read a lot, which which was great. Um, so to narrow it down, what's your best one? That, what's your favorite one that came out? This yeah. Year? So out of the books I read in 2015, six of them were released in 2015. Um, out of those, uh, my top pick would definitely be Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates. Okay. It's such a phenomenal memoir and it's it's written it's written as a letter to his son um just about all the experiences that Tanasi has gone through growing up as a black man in the United States and it's I mean it's very poignant it's very timely but it's just beautifully written just it's it's an it's an amazing book it's one of those books that you can definitely go back and read over and over and over and you know Coincidentally, there's there's a James Baldwin book which I think was released in, I think it was released in the early '60s, which has a similar tone, a similar structure, and apparently reading those books back to back gives you a real perspective on how things have changed and how things haven't changed at all mm-hmm. over the course of the decades. It's it's a great book. It's difficult to read at times, but it's such it's such a good book and beautifully written. Tanasi Coates is is an amazingly talented writer. Absolutely great book. Um, and then the second pick would be Welcome to Night Vale uh, by Joseph Fink and Jeffrey Craner, obviously based on the podcast. That was a phenomenal, phenomenal book. And the audiobook is great too, which for me means a lot because I technically, well, not technically, but usually don't like audiobooks. So I kind of zone out yeah. a bit. But it is it is Cecil. Um, which to me would be kind of hard to get over the fact you think it would be the character of Cecil. He reads it. He reads it in a different tone. Okay. Um, th- there are bits in a book where it actually goes to uh, the voice of Nightvale, where um, 
there's sort of like a break in the chapter and it, it's one of the characters the, the character turns on the radio and, and you're basically hearing what they're hearing when it's on radio so at that point okay. cecil turns into you know cecil, cecil the radio host yeah. the, the voice that you're more familiar with and more accustomed to um with night vale but it's really really good it's a it's a great story they're supposed to be writing i believe two more books no they're writing one more novel and then they have two other books coming out that are just the scripts from the the, the shows i'm really excited for that next novel whatever whatever it is yeah i really need to read that book i have it's it's once again it's sitting on top of that same stack as virgil and um what was the other one i mentioned earlier a lot <laughs> yeah a lot um yeah, I definitely need to read. Uh, no, it was uh, Killing and Dying. That mm-hmm. was, uh, so yeah, it's on the same same pile as Killing and Dying and Virgil. Um, I definitely need to read that one. Uh, I did read a lot of uh, new books this year. Um, so the ones that are on here are pretty much on here by default. I read. A, I went back and read a lot of like because um, uh, Fight Club two came out. I went back and read the first Fight Club. Mm-hmm. I've been reading a lot of books on um, actually storytelling and writing. Probably, I would say ninety percent of the books I read this year were about writing and writing dialogue and writing short stories and writing screenplays. And I read a lot of books on that um, uh, this year. Um, and then since I read Ready Player One this year, which is a book that we both read this year, mm-hmm. it came out a couple of years ago. No, more than that, five 20, years ago. Twenty. I don't think so. Twenty thirteen, maybe. Yeah, and Ready Player One's a phenomenal book. So I went and I read Armada. Which I actually enjoyed. I know you wanted said that you, if we had not been on an e-reader, you would have thrown the book across the room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> Ready Player One came out in 2011. Um, yeah, I hated that book. Just there were so many great ideas there that just didn't actually pan out. Yeah. And the the supporting cast is non-existent the the communication between the dialogue between the main character who I don't even remember his name or care and the other characters is just it's just so wooden yeah like you don't the characters aren't as fleshed out as they are in Ready Player One and the story in Ready Player One is way better anyway yeah but yeah I was really disappointed with that book had it not been a book by Ernest Klein, I probably would have stopped about 60 pages in. See, and for me, I enjoyed Armada, but I enjoyed it from a conceptual standpoint. I don't think the execution was anywhere near as good as Ready Player yeah, One. Yeah. But I love the idea that Ready Player One was an homage to all these things that he loved. Mm-hmm. Whereas Armada, I think, was intended to be a deconstruction of the genre. And I really liked that aspect that he pretty much went through and kind of deconstructed a lot of the tropes of the sci-fi genre. But I think in doing that, the the, the execution wasn't as strong as it could have been. Mm-hmm. But I, I really enjoyed the core concept, and I wish that the execution... It felt like it was a rushed uh, book. It felt like he yeah. probably was a, like, a, like an earlier draft than Ready Player One, or he might have had more time to really hone Ready Player One versus Armada. But I, I, I wish the execution would have been better because I really liked the core idea and the core plot element yeah. that, you know, all science fiction was this thing in order to train us for this inevitable invasion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I loved that part of it. I just wish the execution would have been better. Um, and then the other thing this year that I would, I would definitely say would be on the top of my list, even though pretty much I had already read slash heard most of it. Trigger Warning by Neil Gaiman, oh, which yeah. was his newest short story collection, 
had some of my favorite short stories of his in it. So I, I really love that book, but a lot of them, I mean, were things that I've read other places and other anthologies and, or, um, from his ne evening with Amanda Neal that he does quite often. Uh, so yeah, Trigger Warning was really good too. But other than that, most of the books I read didn't come out this year. They were all either instructional books or books like Fight Club that have come out decades ago. There's one tweet for this question. Dan Walsh, whose Twitter handle is at Pineapple, wrote, How Star Wars Conquered the Universe and Ready Player One. Both very different, both incredible, highly recommended. So moving on to our next question. Whether you found something new or one of your favorite continues to deliver, what was the best webcomic you read in 2015? Um, so the only one I really kept up with was Demon by Jason Shiga. That's the only one you caught? <laughs> that is the only one I came up with, yeah. That I was consistently following. I fell off Sean Female Protagonist for whatever reason. I know. I know. It's pretty bad. I have I. I have to catch up with that. I can't tell if you're trolling me right now. No, 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 no. I'm dead serious. Uh, there I, wasn't I, another webcomic that, that you read that started last year about a zombie, possibly? Oh, yeah, of course yours, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So bad at this. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I like. I do keep up with that. It's not like I don't. And I, you know, I retweeted it. I don't know why I didn't even like. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> That's pretty bad. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I didn't even. I didn't even think about it. It's the reason I added this question. <laughs> and I, that, dude, Morgan Sip is funny as shit. Oh, thank you. I love some of that. I'm stuff. not fishing for compliments. No, I no, just, no. That's I, I good. couldn't tell you were trolling me about. No, no. I mean, dude, I <laughs> seriously, just forgot. I mean, there, there's so many things I'm keeping up with that. Whenever we do these shows, I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah that, that, yeah. every single freaking time. But no, I, Morgan stuff is good, man. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm loving the way that's that's turning out, especially seeing, well, I mean, you talking about the idea for a while. Yeah. And I'd seen some of the strips before you actually put them up. Yeah. It's good. And you actually did go with that color palette change, right? Um, I'm kind of doing, uh, just as an aside, yes, yeah, what we're talking about, my webcomic, Working Stiff, shameless self-plug. Right. Uh, I'm sorry. Not, what was that? Hashtag sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, yes, I, well, what I ended up doing was initially I had essentially a, a grayscale palette with pops of, of green and red, and it felt like I was missing something. So what I'm subtly doing is I'm shifting the palette a little bit every arc, but overall it's kind of muted colors, mm -hmm. muted a muted palette. But every arc, I'm kind of shifting a little bit. So like the the first arc, I have to go back and retroactively recolor some of them. But they're a little bit more warm and have kind of those reds and oranges. The Christmas story arc, if you will, was more cool. So like mm -hmm. blues and, and minty greens and that sort of thing. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. kind of subtly shifting the palettes from kind of arc to arc. But for the most part, they're in the same general kind of mood. If you will, I like the color, and it, it's it's very noticeable, but not to the point where it's distracting. Yeah. It, it, it's it's a slight, subtle change, but yeah. it's good. I, I mean, I, I can definitely see the progression, and you haven't even done that many yet. Yeah, I'm up to uh, up to ten. Actually, as soon as we're done with this, I've got to go pencil and ink two more because um, I had a nice like three week buffer. And then I went away for the holidays, and that was <laughs> obliterated. Um, so right now, I, I'm I have the one for Wednesday 
uh, actually it's not even done yet um, I have it flatted I just have to go back in and do the tones so I have it mostly done but I wanted to pencil and ink two more this weekend so that way I have a, a working back towards that buffer, buffer again. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah you know, it's been fun and one of the things that's been interesting is I um I I mean you and I have talked for years about what this strip was going to be mm. and it's kind of changed back and forth in my mind and then when I sat down to actually do it you know, I think we've maybe talked about this before. My idea was to write uh, 24 gags that um, I was going to do as season one. Uh, and I sat down, and I, I did the 24 gags. There really wasn't an order to it. I just wrote the gags. I'm like, yeah. okay, I've got enough content. So I started doing it, and kind of serendipitously, the first three, our, our first three strips kind of set up, oh, well, if I, I add these other three strips to the end of this it kind of tells a little bit of an arc of a day yeah okay so then i, then I started grouping the gags together mm -hmm. in a way where it's telling like little mini arcs and so that's kind of and i've, I've added some like I, the whole christmas stuff was something i didn't plan originally um because i initially planned on launching it back in september and so i had a halloween arc that i had to cut because i didn't launch it until november uh and then i so i added in a christmas arc with three gags I think then I added in a New Year's one primarily because I didn't have time to pencil the one that I had um, planned to be the next one so mm -hmm. I added in that, that New Year's one that was a little bit easier to do uh, but yeah so I mean they're they're now they're more in addition to just being kind of gags honestly the other, it was kind of influenced by I was reading I, I have been reading um, Bloom County by Berkeley Werthold mm -hmm. and um, the way he kind of constructs his uh, strips is kind of the way I've been doing it now with their gags, but they kind of you get like a set of six or so or four or six that go to, go together to tell a little bit larger story. It's been fun to see the development of it because yeah. I mean it, it's something you rarely well I mean I rarely see with any form of media before it's actually released. Yeah, but it's it's been fun to to track it, man. It's been really cool. So for me, in addition to uh, my own strip, working the working stuff, which can be found at workingstiffcomic.com or on Tapastic, just search working stiff, <clears throat> plug, plug, plug. Um, uh, for me, also strong female protagonist just continues to deliver. I mean, it's I've said before to me, it's not only my favorite web comic, it's possibly my favorite thing being done in the superhero genre. It's so unique and refreshing, and they just finished a major arc and have started a new arc. We're going forward. The main character is trying to. The last, like, everything of the strip up until this point is her trying to figure out how she can actually affect change and what it means to be a hero and how, as a younger person, dealing with the things and dealing with privilege and, mm -hmm. and how she can, can really actually help. And I think this next arc that, that they're starting, she's all those existential things she's been questioning I think she's finally now starting to put into motion some things to actually do something instead of just trying to figure it out. Now she's acting on these things that she's been trying to work out in her mind. So it, it's a, it's it's just it continues to deliver and it continues to be a great strip. Molly's art is getting just better and better and better. Every single strip is just better than the last, and it's just it's a phenomenal series. And I can't wait until they collect the next edition into trade so I can reread it again yeah. in trade. Have they announced when that's going to be? Um, no. When I talked to um, Molly and Brennan, I think at, 
I don't. I, I've met them at so many cons. I don't know if it was when I talked to them at Mocha last year or when I talked to Molly at um, Special Edition. Mm-hmm. But they mentioned that that they were thinking at that point that um, the the two arcs, last arc, and then the arc that they're starting now, are going to be collected into, uh, which would be chapter five and six. Okay. Will be collected into okay. uh, a trade because um, chapter I believe it's five and six. Um, because uh, the last arc has been, yeah. Uh, uh, well, let me, let me double check. Um, yeah, five and six. Yeah, because the first book was one through four, and then five has been very, very long, and then I think six they probably plan to be equally as as long. But yeah, it's it's great. I I can't say enough about and the character the evolution of the characters and mm-hmm. it's just it's a phenomenal phenomenal story. Um, if you're not reading it and you like superheroes you should be because this is i would say the best thing being done in the genre right now yeah that's great i stick to that that proclamation and we actually didn't have any responses for this question so we'll move on to our next question shooters rpgs sports etc what video games did you pour the most hours into this year so for me i actually didn't have time to play any video games this year really um Halo, the new Halo came out, which is my favorite franchise, and I yeah. haven't, I still haven't even bought that yet. Oh wow! Um, so yeah, so I really haven't had time to sit down and play anything. Um, I wanted to play Battle Star Wars Battlefront, but apparently it's only multiplayer, which I guess I didn't realize. <laughs> I haven't been following it a lot. It's only multiplayer, which yeah. I think it was a lot of people were disappointed in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I'm sure you'll probably get to that. Yeah. Um, so for me, really, the only thing I played, which I it was like crack for about a month. I played Walking Dead RTS. You still playing that? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> um, I was, and I was out of like ninety thousand people. I was like ranked in the two thousands. Like mm-hmm. I was playing it a lot. Um, and then I had an issue where I dropped my phone, broke it because I was trying to log in and play. And then I decided that I, that was my, my <laughs> that was like my hitting rock bottom that I needed to I needed to stop. So yeah, so yeah, that game—it's it's an amazing game. It's really fun, um, but I had to stop. <laughs> I, I had to have an intervention with myself. <laughs> yeah, the intervention was your phone. <laughs> oh. So how about you? Because I know you actually did find time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I played—I played more this year than I did um, in, in years prior. Um, mostly just in. In spurts, like I'd play like a little bit in, in summer when I took off, and a little mm-hmm. bit in winter. Um, so I played Resident Evil HD, which is just a HD remaster of the GameCube version. Which I love that version. Yeah. Very good. I mean, obviously, if you played Resident Evil, it's it's the same game for the most part. Did you finish it? Yeah, yeah. it's so good. Yeah, it's it? good. It's good. I mean, I I never played a GameCube one because I didn't have a GameCube. Um, that was my favorite GameCube game. Yeah, I did, love that. I had only played the uh, PlayStation one. Okay. So, um, you know, I played this one again. It was fun. I mean, it's still, it's still a fun game. The voice acting is still as bad as you remember, but in a funny way. Um, Which they redid all the dialogue. Yeah, they redid. Some of them were still pretty bad. But one of the cool things they did is they added the feature, and I don't know if this was in the GameCube version. Um, they added a feature to play with the old controls, like the old boxy controls. Well, that was the only way. You, that was that was the actual the only way you could play in the GameCube. Yeah. Version. Oh, it was. Okay, I didn't know if they changed it because the PlayStation no. One was was that way as well. Yeah, because the the only way in the GameCube version it was still the 
left right were to turn the character mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. forward and back went forward and, like the tank style if you yeah. will and then the, if you remember, i think if it was either you push down on the c stick or hit down and b there's some combination that you could do a quick turn yeah the quick turn but other than that it was the same so in the the remastered one they had like the over the shoulder like resident evil 4 style controls um it's not as over the shoulder. The, the the controls. I mean, the camera was not over the shoulder. The camera is still the same as it, as it was in game. Lock camera. Yeah, um, which gets annoying, of course. But um, the controls themselves are more akin to Resident Evil Four than anything else. Okay. Um, but it was a fun game. It was good. Um, then I played Rocket League, which um, was a multiplayer game. You're um, it's basically like multiplayer soccer hockey hybrid with. Um, remote control cars which is pretty fun it, it's way more fun than you would think just based on that premise alone it sounds ridiculous but it's a very good game uh, Star Wars Battlefront which it's a fun game um, had I paid $60 for it I would be very 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 pissed off was it up front that it was multiplayer only like was that a thing that that, that they said that there was no single player campaign yeah um, originally they had indicated that it would be a single player campaign Oh, really? They didn't give any details about it. They just said it was something they were looking into. Um, and then it's just, it's all multiplayer. But it, it's all multiplayer in the sense that my biggest gripe is the games are short, mm-hmm. which is which is fine. I mean, Fire Squadron, where you're actually controlling a TIE fighter or um, an Interceptor or an X-Wing or whatever, um, those are good games. That That's pretty much the way they garner the most multiplayer points and, and they're short matches. But... It's just not the game it should have been. It, mm-hmm. it feels like they removed a lot of things, especially with, if you think of Battlefront 2, which I believe is on PlayStation 2 or 3, it was, it's an old game that had way more maps, that had mm-hmm. way more options. I don't know if they had a single-player campaign, but it was more of um, sort of an MMO style than mm-hmm. it was just first-person shooter. I mean, it does, it does some cool things. <laughs> Fire Squadron's cool. You do get to control like the Millennium Falcon or Slave One or um, Leia or Han or the Emperor. So it's... you get to control the Emperor. Yeah, yeah. Um, Can you use Force Lightning? Yes. Well, that's cool. Which is pretty cool. Um, <clears throat> does, think... he, does he have those lightsaber from Episode Three? Don't believe so. I only only controlled them once because you have to find like this special little um, this little like power up that you find somewhere. Yeah. Um, and you can only control one of those characters, which they call them heroes, for as long as your lifespan is. So when you die, you go back to being just a regular person. Mm. Um, so it does a lot of really cool things, but there's just not a lot of content there at all. Mm. There's just just not. It's definitely not enough to for it to be $60. You just can't really warrant that. I mean, mm. I, I got it on sale, and then I had Amazon credits. I only, played, I only paid 23 for it, which is good. No, um, but I have been playing it just because Fire Squadron is so much fun. Mm. But it's it was disappointing for sure. Uh, I played the Deadpool game, which wasn't released in 2015. It was released a few years ago. That was that was a good game. Um, I mostly played a lot of the Walking Dead Telltale games. Mm. I played season one again. I started season two. Um, those were really really good games. Uh, and we have one tweet for this question. Andy, whose Twitter handle is at CityManBlue, wrote, Haha, none. Board of gaming, lack of single players, did me in. Can't stand FPS or playing online. Come on, Nintendo, wake up. Which, you know, is a 
valid complaint. I mean, it happened a lot of FPS titles released this year. They were like the big AAA titles. It was sequels, first-person shooters. Um, Nintendo did release Mario Maker, which is really, really... It's a really, really fun game. For the five people that have a Wii U. <laughs> yeah, for the five people that have the Wii U. But some people have been doing some really interesting things with maps on that that you can find on YouTube. It's, it's awesome. Just wish it was on a more uh, better console. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, there was an unofficial Mario Maker style game that was on PC um, years ago, but it's nice to actually have an official one where you actually you know can play on your Nintendo. Mm-hmm. But and there there have been rumblings that within internal Nintendo that the Wii U is essentially dead. That apparently they're working on the ne- their next console, which is lot the rumors that I've been hearing is a lot less gimmicky, a lot more of a traditional console, which would be nice to actually get a traditional console out of Nintendo. Yep. Um, yeah, they're supposed to announce something in E3 this year. Um, but you know, what really kills them is the lack of third-party titles. Which I think if they had a more traditional console, they would start getting that again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if they had something that was just like essentially like a PlayStation or an mm-hmm. Xbox that... You know, it didn't have crazy controls or any of this type of stuff that you have to... Because, I mean, you can't, like... The big thing that I think really helps with the third party on those two systems are games where, you like Call of Duty, where it's the same gameplay experience, whichever console you play it on, right. for the most part. Right. And you can't do that with uh, a Wii where you have a nunchuck and a, a yeah. Wii control or yeah. the Wii U where you have to incorporate that big-ass, like touchscreen pad mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. like when you start putting limitations where you know Nintendo looks at it as their ex, you know extensions of the gameplay experience but from a developing standpoint if I want to develop a game that's going to get the most bang for the buck in mm-hmm. terms of developing it for the most number of consoles if I have to do a special thing for the Nintendo I'm just not even going to bother yeah. versus having if I had a console where I could just make one game and port it on three different systems I'm going to do that, yeah. you know, from a development perspective or a production perspective. So if they just came out with a console that's just like a regular freaking console that didn't have yeah. all these gimmicks and shit, then I think they would actually be viable. And then people would buy it and then they could do their their first party games, which are always great. I mean, Nintendo yeah, always does amazing good. first party games. But not enough people buy the system yeah. because you're not going to like... I didn't buy one, and I would, and now I supposedly, you know, I, there's, I they are supposedly working on a new Zelda game for the Wii U, which they, they've been talking about since the Wii U first was announced, yeah. and I don't think, it'll be a, kind of like a Twilight Princess thing where it'll probably come out for the Wii U as well as wherever their next system is at the right. same time, because right. Twilight Princess came out for the GameCube as well as the Wii, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know, they, they just... I think they need to learn that the gimmicks aren't working. They just need to do something that's comparable yeah. to what everyone else has so that way they can still do. I mean, there's nothing wrong with them having like a peripheral that would come out in addition right. that if they have like a, a crazy game that they want to do. Which is something that they always did. I mean, remember yeah. Super Scope? Oh yeah. oh, yeah. I mean, they've done that in the past and there's nothing wrong with that, but just have the core system be just a core yeah. system. Yeah. Like, if they had, if they came out, if they announced at E3 that they're coming out with a new system that's just going to be a regular system, I would go out and buy it. Yeah. Because I'm a, I love Nintendo. I mean, I love their... Zelda's one of my favorite franchises. Mm-hmm. And I would love to actually be able to sit down and play Zelda games and actually have a system where I can get more use out of it than just playing Zelda. Yeah, I mean, they've they've done a lot of 
very interesting choices throughout their history. Yeah, that's and a gentle way of putting it. It is a gentle way. In terms of um, not making it very easy for developers to design games based yeah. on a console, based on the chip architecture that they use, um, they're not very um, not very forthcoming with releasing their source code so that people can actually develop for their games. Yeah. That's why everything comes out way later and it's an entirely different experience. Um, but, you know, they stuck with cartridge for Nintendo 64, then yeah. they had the mini CDs for GameCube, so they really didn't do themselves that many favors but still, for third you, parties. Even if you look at the, like, the arc, you look at like the Super Nintendo... There was a lot of games, and and there's, I mean, Super Nintendo was, you know, arguably the height of their oh, yeah. empire. Yeah. And then you look at the 64, where they had the goofy controller, where, yes, you had, um, at first it was a revolution to have the joystick, but then as soon as Sony incorporated it, that shot that mm -hmm. advantage. And they mm -hmm. had the Rumble Pack, then Sony integrated that into their controllers with yeah. the DualShock. And so, you know, it's like... Uh, then you know the cartridge limitations really became a big deal, yep. and that's what where PlayStation was able to really take a strong market share. Then you look at the next generation with the GameCube. The GameCube was a more regular console. Yes, it had mini discs mm -hmm. as opposed to regular CDs, but oh well, you just have four mini discs instead of one, <laughs> yeah, instead of one, one DVD. DVD. And if you actually look, they got a lot of traction with the mm -hmm. GameCube, and the GameCube started having a lot of great games. Resident Evil Four. Came out. It was a GameCube exclusive at first. Like yeah, it was. They had some AAA titles that started going back to Nintendo, and then they came out with the Wii, and they had the crazy controls, and then people were like, "Fuck it, we're not gonna deal with that." Yeah, and which led to the bloatware software. All these random games that were coming out that didn't make any sense and would be charging like sixty dollars for, yeah. it, which was ridiculous. And then you had the whole thing with Nintendo where the first like generation of games for the systems always feel like glorified tech demos. Mm -hmm. Because they're mm -hmm. trying to show the you know, like games like Wii Sports and shit where yeah. it's like, you know, this is what this thing's capable of, but then no one else wants to spend the time and money besides Nintendo to develop for yeah. it. But that's we're going off on a, a bit of a Nintendo <laughs> rant. Uh um, I just want a, re a good console because I want to play Mario and Zelda and not just only you know spend five hundred dollars just to play those two games. Yeah, I miss um, that as well. Uh, Our next question: What was your favorite new series of twenty fifteen? So I had a lot of uh, things. I mean, twenty fifteen was a good year for new series. I, I know I'm gonna miss a lot because uh, there were so many great things that came out that um, I'm reading that I don't remember if they when exactly they came out and there was a lot of good stuff but in general um i loved paybacks i say loved as in past tense because it abruptly ended after issue four yeah. which it just it was i loved it it was one of the great best it was one of my favorite series and it just abruptly which the way it ended it was did you have did you, have you read paybacks i read the first two i still haven't caught up with the last two um, well, the, in the letters columns in the last issue, uh, they had like someone, a fake, a sense of fake letter. Someone wrote in and said, this year has been horrible. My husband left me. I lost my job. At least I had paybacks to keep me through. And then the response was, well, unfortunately, paybacks is now coming to an end. <laughs> and then they had a little asterisk at the end said, this is not a real person. <laughs> um, and then Donnie Keats and Elliot Rahal, you know, said, unfortunately, this is the way they phrase it is. This is the end of Paybacks at Dark Horse. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and they say paybacks will return. You will see these characters again. Because the thing is, that it, it literally ends in the middle of the story. Yeah. It, 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 there's no resolution whatsoever. They're just starting to build up towards something. And the, the, the reveal in issue four, it's like, oh my god, that's awesome. When am I going to see where this goes? <laughs> uh, almost like that. Remember that new Universal thing that, 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 um, Marvel did with Warren Ellis wrote oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. New Universe that, yeah. yeah that that was it's almost like that or like it ends just abruptly in the yeah. middle of a just everything story. starts kicking off yeah and it's just like oh that's why I don't know if if you know Donnie and Elliot had something with these, with a Dark Horse because this is the second time now it's happened to Donnie at Dark Horse you know he had um, Go Sleep Ghost Fleet, which was, a, once again, I loved Ghost Fleet. It was a great series. Just really getting into it, and it ended. Um, so, yeah. I'd, hopefully we'll see Paybacks come back. Even if it's a freaking webcomic. I, I don't yeah, care. Yeah. I just want to read more of this story. It's so good. Um, Archie, I've already talked about this before. I really love the Archie reboot. The new Archie series. I actually kind of like the Jughead series a little bit better. Um, it's been really fun. It's just, that's the best way to describe it. It's just fun. Uh, Chip is an amazing writer, uh, and, and Erica's art is just so perfect for that series. And then Archie, the only gripe I really have about Archie is the fact that they have a rotating team of artists. That you know, you start oh, yeah. off with start off with Fiona Staples, which is amazing. The first three issues were gorgeous. Then you switch artists, and the new artist, um, I, I her name escapes me uh, right now. Um, uh, oh, it's Annie. Is it Annie? It can't be Annie Wu. Oh, they've changed it. It's it was Veronica Fish. It was Annie Wu for issue four. And now Veronica Fish for issue five. So the fact that I keep changing it, it just it's 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 a little bit jarring. Um, which I mean, it's an issue I have in general with with rotating artists. Yeah, is that it's yeah. it's jarring, and I, I I wish that they would find like how in Jughead they have uh, Erica Henderson. And there's really definitely a tone for that book. And Fiona Staples did a great job establishing a tone for the new Archie book. Just now, every time they change the artist, it it it, it changes that tone. And I, I just wish it get someone to stay with the book. Um, but the storyline's great. I mean, I, I really enjoy it. It's, like I said before, they've taken the classic Archie and have made it relevant uh, to right now. Mm-hmm. It actually feels like it's it's something that could be happening happening now instead of something that feels acronistic like right. traditional Archie um, I've really enjoyed the Brian Michael Bendis Iron Man run I've already talked about that of the of what I've read of the new um, relaunched Marvel I've really enjoyed um, Iron Man uh, primarily I'm reading it because it's Bendis um, the new Avengers has been so 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 far I think it's, it's just trying to find its footing but I mean coming off the heels of the Hickman run yeah, it's, it's big shoes to fill that. Yeah. Um, uh, Headlopper, which technically isn't a new series, but the the ongoing is new. Um, it's Andrew McLean's creator-owned story. He originally published it as a uh, like a self-published series. I absolutely love it. It's fun. It's crazy. It's it's out there. It's it's really kind of you know it's it's great it's i love his style he has a really great cartoony style i talked about apocalyptic girl um earlier which i believe came out last year has it been a year since apocalyptic girl came out um if not that should have been on my list for best graphic novels of this year um 
oh, Apocalyptic Girl came out this year. So yeah, so that that was an oversight on my part. That should have been on my list of best graphic novels of the year easily. Apocalyptic Girl was great. Um, and Headlopper, uh, it's just it's a, a great series. And he's doing this a quarterly, so each issue is a little thicker. It's, it's, okay. uh, so you get a, a lot meatier of a story, and it comes out once a quarter, which... I love the fact that Image is like, yeah, we'll do that. We'll do a quarterly book. Like, yeah. it's it's great that they're they're doing that. Um, I hate Fairyland. Speaking of Image titles and uh, things that are, are you know quirky and different. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter at all, you'll you know that I, every single Scotty Young variant that comes out, I'm like, oh my god, this is the greatest cover ever. <laughs> and then his next one comes out, oh my god, this is the greatest. I love Scotty Young's work, and I hate Fairyland is so self-referential and so. Like making fun of poking fun of some of the things that he does himself, and it's it's a great series. It's really fun. Um, the last issue he killed off the main character in like the fourth issue, and so it's like okay, where is he going now that he killed off the main character? It's it's great. Um, and just the idea of this forty year old girl or forty year old woman inside an eight year old girl's body who's like constantly swearing and killing people, and it's it's fun. And then I actually I really like. Um, I'm a fan, huge fan of Kate Leth, and she's had a number of new series this year. And I I love Hellcat. The first issue of Hellcat yeah. is great. Huh. It is phenomenal. Um, it, it's just the art, first off, Brittany Williams is perfect for the book. And honestly, she's one of my favorite artists right now. I yeah. love her style. It's very much an animated, influenced style. And the other thing that's kind of cool is, is kind of that, you know, that... um the uh oh trope from like anime where they kind of every once in a while will cut to like a, a chibi or how do you say that chibi chibi yeah. style where it's like you know that sort of thing for like really expressive moments yeah, yeah well yeah. she does that in a couple scenes oh, and really? so it's, okay. it's very much like a, a very um it's one of those things that works well and works perfectly as a comic in the way that she uses different styles to express different emotional impacts and different scenes and things it's it's a phenomenal series. I cannot wait to read the next issue. Um, I am so glad that Marvel uh, is taking risks mm. and doing things like this. Like I really want to read. Um, I've heard great things about Squirrel Girl. I've just downloaded um, all the uh, issues for that, um, uh, and I really want to read that. I've heard really great things about Spider Gwen and you know kind of these series that are outside the yeah, realm of the, the traditional Marvel tropes and i think hellcat is everything that that stands for and more um so yeah so and then another thing i want to mention the dc stuff um i really enjoyed i mentioned earlier the dcu stuff perez has been really great um uh, i thoroughly enjoyed the new constantine book um black canary um i just stopped reading dr fate i was reading dr mm -hmm. fate it kind of to me it's been six issues now and it's still kind of trying to find its voice so right. to me I, I i i might check it out later in trade but for me it's kind of starting to drag on a little bit now so i, I just dropped dr fate but yeah the, the dcu reboot stuff has been great and then i haven't had a chance but i've heard great things about paper girls and ringside i have all the issues oh, ringside. i, I haven't ringside. yeah i haven't had a chance to read them yet i really want to they literally are like the next thing on my list to read so had this been recorded next week i probably would have had those on my list too <laughs> How about you? What's the best? I know you've been pulling stuff off your list. So have, yeah. you, have you read any new series this um, year? Kaiju Max by mm. Zanna Cannon was, was my pick. Um, 
great, great story. It's essentially a supermax prison for kaijus. And it's it's run by humans, and it, it goes into all the deep emotions with the kaiju and their family, and it, it's a very layered book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like Oz, but monsters. Um, and there are some brutal scenes in it. I mean, there's a kaiju that gets raped in it. It's like I'm, I haven't gotten to that scene. Yes. Reading this in a comic, that's insane. But it's it's so good. I love Xander Cannon's work. I mean. And, and he was doing, um, I'm not sure if he continued for every issue, but for the first three, he recorded um, oh, yeah. basically a, a companion podcast for it. So it, it gives you a read-through and why he made certain choices and why this character looks this way and what, what he's trying to do, which, is, which is great to have, you know, to get that perspective from from a writer, well, cr- creator's mouth and just go through the book rather than just an interview. Um, and again, I mean, I love Xander Cannon's work and that's, that's definitely been aside from the fact that it was one of the few new <laughs> series I picked up, but one of the ones that I thought was great. I'm definitely looking forward to what he does with it in season two. So moving on to our next question, what was the biggest surprise and or most disappointing letdown of 2015? Um, so I kept this brief and... Uh, my biggest surprise was just how good Walking Dead actually was. Oh, wow. Um, you know, it's a book that's been around for a long time. And, you know, you have the TV show and you have... There was, there was the hype built into it before I came into that world. And my first introduction was the Telltale Season 1 game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just... I'm constantly taken aback by this book and how great it is and how it constantly pushes the envelope and goes further and further and further. Um, and I mean, we've talked about Walking Dead enough anyway. Uh, my letdown, um, I guess I wouldn't really be categorized as a letdown, but there's no middle ground. It would be Secret Wars just Mm -hmm. for how long it's taken to actually finish the hype that was built up into it, all the stuff that was coming out from Brevoort and Alonzo about Battleworld. And it it was, it was a little too much and it's still not done. I think Mm -hmm. the last issue is out tomorrow. Is or it, not tomorrow, yeah, but Wednesday, next, right? Next week, I think. Is it next week or week after next? I, I can't remember. A, I think it's the 13th. Is it the 13th? Yeah. Which, I mean, just it just took forever. And aside from the fact that this was supposed to set up Marvel Universe going forward, and it's still not done, but the new Marvel status quo has already happened. It's already changed. Yeah, it's out January 13th. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, that is... Um, yeah. <laughs> well, what about you? So for me, surprise, um, Mad Max Fury Road, without a doubt. Mm. I, once again, I, I normally, like all the movies that I'm really excited for, I see opening day. And I didn't see it until three weeks after I'd been out. So that tells you like where it was on my radar in terms of how much I was anticipating it. And it, like I said, it was the, not my favorite film of the year, but the best, like if I look, just look at it critically, best film of the year. And so, yeah, that was definitely a very pleasant surprise i took my wife to go see it almost literally kicking and screaming she like did not want to see this film she thought it looked like the stupidest thing ever (laughs) and she still talks about how much she loves that film and and how great it is and how it for her was like the best thing she saw this year and so it's like you you know that is a testament to what how good that film is um it's just it's a it's a great film I, i can't say enough about it um, letdowns. I actually had a number of them. 
surprisingly, I actually had Secret Wars on my list as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not because I didn't, I haven't liked Secret Wars. I really do like Secret Wars, but when you look at the arc of Hickman's Avengers stuff, and you look at Infinity, mm-hmm. and you look at Secret Wars as okay, this is a culmination of everything he's done. It just doesn't quite live up to that expectation. Yeah. And then you also look at everything else that happened around it and all the tie-ins and all that Mm -hmm, stuff. mm -hmm. I started out really excited about it and really enjoying it. And I, after a certain point, just got tired of it. Yeah. I got tired of the tie-ins. I got tired of all the the questions about uh, what's next. Honestly, one of my favorite things uh, that come out of it was Secret Wars 2, T-O-O. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, the first... Uh, story in that issue Hickman wrote and it's essentially um, Hickman pitching the idea for Secret Wars to the Marvel team with not having an end in mind <laughs> it's just it's really funny and I, it's you know it's kind of nice that Hickman can kind of poke fun at himself um, but yeah I just comparing it to what Infinity was and everything else that had been built up in the Hickman Avengers run mm-hmm. I think, you know, I'm going to be curious to go back and reread it as a whole mm-hmm. and see maybe if it reads better that way. I mean, right. the delays didn't help. The fact that, you know, the page count and the issues were inconsistent. Yeah, and yeah. some issues felt like nothing happens and then other issues felt like so much happens. Yep. Does it read better as a, as a whole than it did in issue form? Hopefully so. And, and But in terms of, like, what I was expecting compared to what was delivered. It was still great and I'm still enjoying it, but mm-hmm. I just don't think to the level that I was expecting. Um, additionally, uh, Tomorrowland was a huge letdown for me. Um, Brad Bird, it looked amazing. And the film does look gorgeous. It's a beautiful looking film. But the idea was better than the execution. This is another one of those, kind of like Armada, which I would also put in the, on this list, mm-hmm. where the idea is brilliant. The execution I mean, I think I talked about it before. At one point, they're trying to get to Tomorrowland, and they have to go and get to a transporter that sends them to another transporter to get into Tomorrow. Like, it just, the plot was really clunky mm-hmm. and, and that sort of thing. And just, you would expect more from Brad Bird. Right. It just was a, a bit of a disappointment. Um, Jurassic World, which I enjoyed, um, not as much as I w- would have hoped to. Yeah. So, my list, I was looking at just comics, but now that we're actually talking about movies and such, Jurassic World would be on my letdown as well. Yeah, because I, I enjoyed it, and I thought, you know, for me, out of all the sequels to Jurassic Park, it was hands down, no doubt, the best sequel to Jurassic Park, and it actually felt like the sequel mm-hmm. to Jurassic Park, but I still think, like, Bryce Dallas Howard's character, I think, was a little one-dimensional, oh, yeah, and... Yeah, yeah. and her acting, I've never, this, I have not seen her anything yet that where I go, oh, she was great. Like, she's good, but I've never seen her really hit a home run in terms of her performance. Um, Chris Pratt was was good, but he wasn't like Star-Lord Chris Pratt. Like, it wasn't, you know, he was definitely the highlight of the film, but he, it, that he didn't really have to do much yeah, to be that. Yeah, he really didn't. Um and I I walked out satisfied, but it wasn't quite what I was hoping for. It was fun, but not like 
I kind of have the same expectations I had for Force Awakens, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Not quite the same level, because it's not Star Wars, and nothing can have that level of... But still, it was a franchise that was really pivotal in my childhood. The first one is one of my favorite films of all time. Still holds up. And, yeah, still holds up. And so I was hoping that... And same thing this one had, where it had sequels that kind of fell down, and this was promising to, like, reinvigorate the franchise. Right, right. Like The Force Awakens did. And it didn't quite deliver, and now they're supposedly going to do another sequel, which I don't know how they're going to do another sequel and have it actually be decent. But, <laughs> and then um, Fantastic Four, though that was kind of expected. Yeah, I mean, you can't really consider it a letdown when you weren't really expecting much to begin with. But I, I it was, was bad. hoping. I was hoping it was. It's a good first act that has no delivery. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and you know, when you and I talk about this when we watch the film. Like, I'm watching the first part of the film. And I'm like, I don't. I mean, this isn't great, but I don't see what why it's as bad as everyone is saying it is. Yep. Until you get to about 60 minutes into the film, and then you're like, oh, yeah, it takes, I get it. It takes a hard turn. <laughs> yeah, it does. It just it's like it's like a decent film, and then it just stops. <laughs> yeah, and like, you know, it just you- gets. Really bad, really fast. I mean, how do you take a, an actor like Michael B. Jordan, who's good? I mean, yeah. he's, he's great in the things I've seen. I haven't seen Creed yet. Yeah, I haven't either. I great it. things yeah, about that. Here. And yet, he's terrible in this movie. Like, everyone is... He's the highlight bad. of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the performance itself is like, what's happening here? Yeah. It's just, I don't know... It, Again, good execution. I mean, good good concept. Right? <laughs> wow, <Poor> execution. <laughs> yeah, no, I would agree. I, I love the idea of having the accident being um, more based on the Ultimate Universe, where they're trying to do interdimensional travel and not spaceships and hit with cosmic rays and all yeah, that yeah, shit. Yeah, like, yeah. I love that. Like the, conceptually, it it makes sense, but it just the execution is possibly the worst I've ever seen. Yeah, like this literally. I would say Fantastic Four rivals um, it came from Plan 9. Oof. Seriously, it, I would say it rivals it came from Plan 9 in terms of how poor the execution was. Wow. I mean, they literally, one of the, the, the plot devices was a PowerPoint presentation describing what should have been the movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, they have they cut and Mole Man, who never really becomes Mole Man, is giving a PowerPoint presentation of essentially the what I would imagine would have been the pitch for the movie. Yeah, yeah. It was it was the timeline between after the accident and where and you are now. Three years later, like yeah. what the fuck? Oh, oh my god! Way, here's what you missed. What? That is the ultimate example of telling, not showing. Yeah. Like it's it just it was so bad. It was. it was like I was I was not I did not have my hopes high, but as low as my expectations were, it shattered my. <laughs> it, 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 it it I was so disappointed. Even as low as my expectations were, I was disappointed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, tweets for this question. Um, Andy, whose Twitter handle is at SayManBlue, said, uh, Image yet again, all good, postal my fave. I would assume that would be biggest surprise. Then he, he goes on to say, Marvel, uh, the Secret Wars, lateness fiasco was bad. Uh, the good was Darth Vader. Which I read recently, some of the more recent issues, because I was reading the Star Wars series, mm-hmm. and Vader ties in. They had oh, a yeah. crossover. Okay. So I read, and what I've read, I'm going to go back and reread now. I mean, it's Karen Gillian who's writing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to go back and reread it now. 
But uh, yeah, the little bit I read has been really good. Um, and then he finally says, DC biggest disappointment was Convergence. <laughs> oh, yeah. Simply awful. Uh, biggest surprise, Batman and Robin Weekly is very good. Which I've been hearing that, that the um, Batman Eternal, Batman and Robin Eternal mm-hmm. is actually pretty good. I enjoyed the first Batman Eternal. Um, I didn't. I just didn't want to add another weekly title to my list because I was already so far behind. Yeah. I might go back and reread it um, once it's all done. Um, but yeah, DC's just like they have a few good things and then they just destroy them. Like Convergence was horrible, and now Jeff Johns is doing the Dark Side War within his Justice League title. Like that should have been their big event of the mm-hmm. year. It was the Dark Side War. It's been amazing. Dark Side War is phenomenal. Convergence. I read, I think, the first issue, I, first two issues I read, just because it's like a new DC event. Then after that point, I read like another two issues just because I'm like, uh, this must have some impact. So I, and even after that, I'm like, I don't care at this point. It's so bad. I, I can't take this anymore. I really can't take this anymore. The best part, there was some sort of sequence where you have, um, I believe it's uh, Earth 2 Batman and pre-Flashpoint Batman, which Earth 2 Batman is actually Thomas Wayne. Right. And pre-Flashpoint Batman, which is Bruce Wayne, have a conversation. And that moment is quite compelling because it's it's Bruce Wayne from pre-Flashpoint talking to his dad, who is Batman. it's, It's that little interaction was phenomenal um but nothing else (laughs) is redeemable and even that moment like just the idea that moment's great i would have liked to have seen it happen in a better book like multiversity (laughs) our next question what was your favorite comic related moment of the year so for me um i think i already mentioned the two uh one i really loved it in issue 20 what was it uh 37 of batman the the whole thing with with joe chill being patient zero um once again just scott snyder's mastery of tying in you know the history of the character and making it relevant and contemporary and not having those references be so heavy-handed like the way it's handled it's it's such a he has such a, a a respect for the history of the character but yet he's blazing a trail in terms of making the character his own mm-hmm. and his balance and i think that moment really summarizes his balance of being able to juggle both things and do it in such an amazing way um the other thing was uh, also the end of issue 16 of deadly class Oh, yeah. Where you finally see where this has been building to, and it's just, and then subsequently, what that means in issue seventeen, it's just like I read issue seventeen, just like oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, like it was just oh, it was great, and Deadly Class is phenomenal. So yeah, that it was a good series that the payoff makes it so much better. How about you? Uh, so I had three. Uh, going off on your Batman one, mine was Batman 38, um, which I think I've talked about here before about um, it's that one scene where Batman is talking to Quilkman and Quilkman just lays on this whole theory that perhaps the, jer- the Joker is immortal and he's been around 
for centuries. And, the Pale Man. And the Pale Man, yeah, and, and the whole theory about the Lazarus Pit, which, you know, I read that and thought, holy shit, I've never seen this before. I've mm-hmm. never seen anyone try to lay the foundation for the myth that is the Joker. It's always been, who's the Joker? How did he become the Joker? Well, what if the Joker's just pure evil and he's been around forever? Yeah. that That's amazing. I, I read that issue probably about three or four times and, like, no one talked about it. I, I yeah. searched high and low on Twitter, CBR, a bunch of other forums. Like, no one ever mentioned it. It, it, it. It's just something that got lost within everything that was surrounding Batman and Endgame. Well, I think what's so amazing about it is, I mean, you have the Joker who traditionally had no origin story and he was unknown. And then you had, okay, well, there was The Killing Joke, and you had the whole thing with Jack Napier, mm-hmm. and and they gave an origin to the Joker, which some people say ruined the character of the mm-hmm. Joker. One of the things that was so great about him was, was the mystery of, of his origin. Then you get to um, Snyder's run in Zero Year, and he does kind of a, a subtle thing where you know he shows the origin of the Joker, but you don't know where the Joker gets involved. Right. Where, if he was the Red Hood one the whole time, if right. he took over, like, if he was a patsy, mm-hmm. like, he reincorporates the Alan Moore origin, but does it in a way where it's a little bit more mysterious. And then when he gets to to uh, Endgame, he elaborates on that mystery so much more where it adds that pre-Alan Moore, pre-Killing Joke mystique back mm-hmm. to the character mm-hmm. in a way that is even more grandiose yeah. than than just the idea of simply not knowing. Yeah, it's it's basically what you said. It's he's a writer that has so much respect for source material for all the writers that came before him, and he's just adding layers to it. Mm-hmm. And I mean that's been my most favorite aspect of his run is just how he's done that, and particularly the whole Joker. Thing. Mm-hmm. It's been great. And now, I mean, spoilers, but wait, have you read the last issue? I think I did. I remember. Where they're sitting on a park bench? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did I did read that. Do you want to see what's going on with that? Yeah. Because there hasn't been another issue afterwards, right? Mm-mm. That's where it ended? It ended with he sits down and Bruce has the revelation that he he is Batman. He's starting to remember. And uh, Joker sits, or some character sits down next to him and he goes, well, what are you uh, doing? And some about, well, an ac- I had an accident happen to me here not too long ago and then the camera pans over and oh what a coincidence same thing with me and it's joker yeah like it's that whole relationship of the two of them being inseparable Mm -hmm. and and and, yeah what else was uh the end of hawkeye um the mad fraction run was great i mean it was long overdue don't spoil it no 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 i'm definitely won't spoil it Took a long time so to get to it's on, it's on top of Night Vale. On it's top on top of, of that, uh, which is <laughs> yeah, on top of Killing and Dying, which is on top of uh, Vertigo. And, yeah. No, it, it it's great. Very very satisfying conclusion. Um, it helps if you just sit down or you know over over the course of however many days, just read the entire run from beginning to end. There's not many issues. Twenty two. It's yeah. it's quick. It's a quick yeah. read. That's what I did. Um, I got it when it came out, and then um, just read it all over, which was. Great. It was, it was. I won't elaborate too much because I know you haven't read it. But has the last trade come out yet? I don't know. So I have Probably. the first. I have the first three trades. Um. Well, we're in January now. That issue twenty two. I 
think came out sometime in the summer, like July, so probably? I don't know. The way it's been delayed, though, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I had them all in Comixology anyway, and I bought it Yeah, I think there's an omnibus, and I might... Yeah, there, there was an omnibus solicited for it. So I might just uh, sell my trades and buy the omnibus. Yeah, I, I think that's sometime in uh, late spring, early summer. Um, and in my last favorite moment was towards the end of Saga 30, when Marco and Alana are reunited. Oh, it's so good. It's such a satisfying end to that arc, which a lot of people complained a lot that nothing happened in the arc, which I would Whoa. argue. But just that one moment, and it's just one page of them hugging. And it's it's beautiful. And Brian K. Vaughan has this, this inscription at the bottom, which, I mean, it's all told from, from the uh, perspective of Hazel, mm -hmm. right? And it says, um, there's no graduating from this kind of education. Couples just keep growing and changing until they either break up or die. Now, that was beautiful. I mean, that's yeah. what Saga is. Mm -hmm. It's such a great book. And just to have that moment where you spend the entire arc with them separate and now here they're back together. It's just like, okay, this is what the book actually is. And they're back together, but their family's not reunited. Mm -hmm. That's the other thing. Yeah. They're back together, but now Hazel's gone. Right. And... and and that leads into the next arc, which has been <clears throat> just amazing so far. Yeah, I haven't read those first two issues. Oh, you haven't? I haven't as of yet. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I've been slow on the uptake with uh, keeping up. Oh, man. The last arc has been phenomenal. Yeah. The last issue, like I said, I, I kind of spoiled it a little bit. For you. Um, but yeah, the, the last issue. When you, I mean, obviously, at, at the end of the last arc, you know it's Alana and Marco are back together. Um, so the, the last issue is what Marco and Alana are doing now after being reunited and not having Hazel. And it's it's great. I love seeing them back together again. Their dynamic and chemistry is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tweets for this question. Uh, Mike Sheldon, whose Twitter handle is at the endless with a seven for the L, said, having a tweet of mine in an issue of Deadpool. Which he did mention which issue. I wish he would have because I would have loved to have looked that up. Yeah, I remember actually seeing it too. I remember seeing his name oh, okay. in that. Um, and our next tweet comes to us from Fist of Country. So it handles at Fist of Country. And he wrote, Jay Garrick and Barry Allen jogging along the brick wall together. Hashtag The Flash. Yeah, I know. Once again, I really need to watch The Flash, and a lot of people are raving about mm -hmm. it. And then our last tweet uh, comes from Matthew Bernard, whose Twitter handle is at underscore Matthew Bernard. And he tweeted, i got to find it again. He tweeted a picture of a panel from uh oh, yeah. um it's from the hickman i think this is one of the avengers or new avengers yeah it's new avengers issue um it starts off and it says <clears throat> the sun shone one last time there was lightning and thunder and then silence and it was that scene where i believe it's hyperion yeah. and mm -hmm. um thor or not thor but i should say odin's son uh where I believe Odinson, if I remember correctly, he then gets he uh, picks up the hammer again. He picks up Mjolnir again yeah, yeah. and gets the power back. And then they take on the onslaught of um, Beyonders, mm -hmm. essentially knowing that they're going to die. Yeah. And it's like if there was something else right before this happens, I don't remember exactly what it was, but there's a conversation about um, having a, a drink in Valhalla or something, yeah, something yeah, to yeah. that effect. Yeah, yeah, because they uh, knew they were going to die. Yeah, it was just, that was a great scene. Yeah, it was. Um, so our next question, this year saw a plethora of comic-based TV series. Which topped your list? Daredevil. 
I mean, that's Daredevil. Yeah, I, I love that. That series is so good. Um, that, that only two and a half months away from the next one. I know, I know that that fight scene, the hallway fight scene. Which oh my knows god! I mean, that was one of the best action sequences I've ever seen in anything. Yeah. It's just absolutely phenomenal in the way he, he he's visibly tired and he's taking the punches. It's just so people good. Keep, people keep getting back up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and, was, it was amazing. And he pauses to take off the mask before he goes in to get the kid. Like, just that whole sequence. Yeah. One of the best things. Yeah, uh, that was absolutely phenomenal. Um, that's, that's what topped my list. I mean, aside from that, Jessica Jones, which we talked about. Um, and then I caught a little bit of um, iZombie, which I, I mm. didn't catch up with it because they weren't all on um, on demand. I think I saw maybe the first two or three episodes. Have you seen that? I've watched bits and pieces of it. Yeah, I thought I thought it was pretty good. I, I want to catch up with it again, but there's way more that I plan to see that I still have not seen. Like I wanted to see Fear the Walking Dead. That didn't happen. <laughs> That's a good show. Yeah, yeah. What about you? Um, so for me, uh, <clears throat> Daredevil, Daredevil's on the top just because, I mean, for everything you said, I mean, it, Daredevil is Daredevil. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, Jessica Jones, I the only reason why Jessica, I mean, Daredevil just barely eked out Jessica Jones. And the only reason why I would say Daredevil is just a tiny bit higher on my list than Jessica Jones is after I went back and read The Alias run by Bar, uh, Brian Bendis. Mm-hmm. There were some elements from that that I was kind of missing in the show. Mm-hmm. Some of the more like, you know, the things about how her and Carol Danvers are just sitting down to have a brunch and gossiping about other superheroes. Yep. Like some of those elements that really make the character, you know, I talked about in the, the Jessica Jones episode we did. You know, it shows you don't have to take the powers away to make a grounded, mm-hmm. realistic superhero. Mm-hmm. I feel like this was, and granted it is a TV show that's made for... Um, more mainstream audience and made to have an impact so they're going to show you the more interesting part of her life but i still think there would have there could have been opportunities for some of those sort of scenes to be integrated and still have this amazing thing but other than that jessica jones was phenomenal yeah i really enjoyed agent carter uh eight episodes another one phenomenal Haley atwell is a, a great actress i mean that show's great i'm so excited to see the next season i'm really looking forward to see what they do with it I also been really enjoying Shield. Um, I still keep sticking with that show. It's it's great. It keeps getting better, and they're bringing in the Inhuman stuff, which I I really love. Um, I'm gonna be curious to see what happens when they get to doing the Inhumans movie. I would have a feeling that because they haven't really even really mentioned the royal family yet. Mm-hmm. So I I have a feeling that the Inhumans movie is gonna focus more on the royal family, where they're just talking about the Inhumans in general in Shield. Um, and then I just, I love Walking Dead. I mean, it's, I love how we talked about this on the Walking Dead episode where you can read the comic and watch the show and broad strokes, the same events happen, but they happen to different characters and they, they change up the sequence of events or elaborate on some and cut others out. And so they do it in a way where broad strokes, you know where the show is going, but you don't know exactly how it's going to get there. Mm-hmm. That's like the whole thing with Glenn in the last season. Like, it's not how things happened in the comics. So you think, without spoiling too much, you think that could have been his end. Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that one um, interview that was done at South by Southwest. Did you ever watch that? I think I mm-hmm. sent it to you at one point. It's good. It's probably about an hour. Who's it with? Um, 
<clears throat> Brian Ashcraft, who is an editor for um, Polygon, which okay. is a video game, um, a video game site. But it, it's very good. But he he does make a mention that well, who's he interviewing? He's interviewing Kirkman. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Kirkman is uh, he's talking about how you can you can watch the show and you can read the comic and they're they're treated as two completely separate universes. Like mm. there will be some touchstones and some influence, but you can see them as their own properties. Yeah, which I love. Yeah, uh, I think yeah. that's it's a great way to handle it, especially something I mean the core. The core of the series, which is the idea of, you know, long-term, how do you live in this sort of world, that is intact, very much so. And even, like I said, broad strokes, like they go to the farm, they go to the prison, and then they're on the road, and they find Alexandria, and I mean, broad strokes, it, it's similar, yeah. or it's, it's the same. But even down to things like, um, you know, the thing with uh, Fear of the Hunters, and the, um, you know, uh, Tainted Meat, yeah, yeah, yeah. that... It happens. Mm-hmm. It's just it's a different character. I mean, the show it's a character that's not in the comics, but it has the same emotional resonance that it does in the comics, and it, the same you know it delivers the same impact. Right. Um, and also, how they take care of the hunters is very different in the show than it is yeah. in the comic. Yeah. And of course, we can't deny. I, I'm really excited to see Jeffrey Dean Morgan as Negan. <laughs> yes. And they, they just, they had a little, which I thought was a kind of cheesy thing, a little bit, at the end of last season where they had, like, this epilogue thing where it was, um, oh, uh, Abraham, Sasha, and Daryl, and they were on their way back to Alexandria, and they get stopped by this thing, and it's a very, I mean, it, it feels very in line with the characters from the show, from the book, mm-hmm. where they're like, well, that's not yours, and... Neither is that, and neither is the guns you have, and neither is the truck, and neither is that. None of that belongs to you. Who does it belong to? It belongs to Negan. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you've read the comics, it's like, oh my god! If you haven't read the comics, you're like, who the fuck is Negan? (laughs) Um, So I thought that was a little cheesy. Uh, But yeah, I'm excited to see where it's going to go, and how they're going to do Negan with the limitations of having it be on television. Yeah, um, Jeffrey D. Morgan did an interview, with, I think, with Entertainment Weekly um, a few months back, and they were asking him that question. Like, Negan loves cursing. <laughs> Not only does he love cursing, he's very um, artistic with how he uses the word fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's definitely the master of that. Um, and Jeffrey D. Morgan did say that they're going to push the boundaries on it. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he can't really just say... The word well, fuck every yeah, single Well, time. fuckity fucking fuck, like he says in the comic. I hope that stays. That the moment where he says that is very very funny. If that stays intact, but yeah. <laughs> well, it's just like you know they haven't done it so far because like one of the major moments in the comic is the whole thing with Rick and the the cannibals and they don't know who they're fucking with. Yeah, and they changed it in the comics to or in the show to they don't know who they're screwing with. It's mm-hmm. like if there's a, one moment where okay break that boundary do it there yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean so they haven't done it yet so I, I don't know yeah um tweets for this question comic book evangelist whose twitter handles at comic evangelist said the flash Barry remains joyous about having powers and now we have Jay Garrick Wally West and the way to give anyone powers 
and Fist of Kunshu, whose Twitter handle is at Fist of Kunshu, wrote, iZombie is all around great, though Arrow has been making a strong comeback. And Dan Wash, whose Twitter handle is at Wana Pineapple, said, Flash and Daredevil are tied for my first. Um, which that would have to be a photo finish. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's... Lame. Speed. There's actually a joke in the last issue of Paybacks about speedsters. Oh, yeah. um, moving on. So next question. What are you looking forward to the most in 2016? So now that we've gotten, gotten 2015 out of the way, let's let's venture into the future, if we will, even though it is already 2016 and we're talking about this. <laughs> um, so for me, I've got it broken into two primary categories. Um, and I know I'm going to be missing things, so yeah. Um, and I, I, you, earlier you had reminded me of some things that I forgot to add. Um, so uh, I know I'm going to be missing things. But anyways, movies, uh, top of my list is Rogue One. Mm-hmm. I love the Eckling Rogue Squadron stuff of Star Wars after seeing the most recent one. I'm super excited to see what they do and to see a Rogue Squadron movie. I mean, I've wanted to see this ever since I was a kid and read the Dark Horse Rogue Squadron comics. So I'm all in. I, I can't wait. Uh, the cast looks great. Um, yeah, I, I can't say enough amazing things about And we've seen hardly anything of this movie. Yeah. But just the fact that, okay... Star Wars seems to be now in good hands, and we're getting a Rogue Squadron movie. You can't like that's yeah. like if I my the twelve year old me is jumping up and down in joy <laughs> for that. Um, we have a lot of superhero movies, yeah. so um, just run down the list: Deadpool, which comes out next month, Batman vs Superman, Civil War, uh, Apocalypse, and Doctor Strange. Out of all those, the one that I'm actually looking forward to the most is Apocalypse. Just because I really like, I still think First Class is one of my favorite superhero movies. Yeah. First Class is a great movie. I'm really liking this kind of reinvigorated X Men universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, Oscar Isaac as the villain. I mean, we got to see one range of him as Poe. Now to see that as like the all like the end all be all villain in the X Men universe. Yeah. That's going to be awesome. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I mean, Civil War looks great, but at this point, with Marvel, it's like, okay, it's just more of the same. <laughs> like, you know it's going to be good. Yeah. It, you yeah. know it's going to deliver. Um, so, yeah. And then, in addition to that, I am looking forward to the Star Trek movie. It's going to be different. It's not J.J. Abrams. It's the guy who did Fast and the Furious, I think. And the trailer makes it look like... Um, I think it's the guy who did Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift. Really? I think. I could be wrong about that. Um, huh. uh, the trailer makes it look like it's a uh, Guardians of the Galaxy sort of movie. Um, so. Yeah, it looks very action-oriented. Yeah, and it looks kind of like... Oops, I don't want to play the trailer. Um, it it uh, looks like, you know, kind of... Uh, yeah, the director is Justin Lin, who did uh, Fast and the Furious 6, Fast 5... Oh, he did the original Fast and the Furious, so yeah. So it's the guy that's mostly known for Fast and the Furious is doing uh, the uh, next Star Trek. So the last two I loved. I loved both the original and Into Darkness. So I'm hoping that the just momentum has just kept going forward right. and we're not going to see, you know, 
the Enterprise sliding sideways. Oh, come <laughs> on. That'd be awesome. Um, and then also, I know you're going to roll your eyes on this one, but um, Independence Day, Reven- Re- was it Resurgence? Resurgence. Yes. Yeah, Resurgence. I love the first Independence Day, and um, the trailer for the next one looks good. I'm going to keep up hope until it comes out, and we'll see how it goes. I really, the first one is one of those touchstones of my childhood. Man, it was a great movie. It was a good movie, and I'm hoping, I mean, I, 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 the fact that Jeff Goldblum is back, and the fact, they pretty much everyone except for Will Smith is back. Yeah. And supposedly one of the characters is supposed to be his, I think, adopted son, if I remember correctly, from the first movie. So I believe in the movie that it, it was, was a stepson. Stepson, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so hopefully, I, I, I have good hopes and i loved the the trailer looked good so um for comics um patience by dan klaus um i've been hearing great things um i love his work and a new original graphic novel by him that that i i can't yeah i i'm really looking forward to, to that book um wonder woman earth one by grant morrison we've been hearing about this book for like five years now ever since they started the earth one line so um i'm so excited grant morrison obviously one of my favorite writers so i'm really looking forward to it um and then dark horse now has licensed all the mobius stuff so i'm really looking forward to actually getting my hands on some really good hopefully they don't recolor it we get a pure form of it because i would love to see mobius stuff and actually be able to get my hands on it Mm -hmm. And then two other things that were things that were supposed to come out at the end of last year that we never that never materialized. I'm kind of wondering what's going on. One is AD After Death, which was Scott Snyder and Jeff Lemire. Yeah, yeah, Graphic yeah. novel didn't come out. It was supposed to come out in November. It didn't yeah. come out. I looked online everywhere to see there has been no announcement right. made as to why it just suddenly disappeared. Yeah. So hopefully it'll come out this year. And the other thing is Stock Girl, which was the series that Brian Lee O'Malley was writing. Right. Yeah, yeah. That also didn't come out. Which the thing I'm wondering now, because it was Brian Lee O'Malley was writing it, and then someone else was doing the art. Brian Lee O'Malley, within the last couple of months, has been posting a lot of art for some mysterious project, and it kind of matches the description of what Snot Girl was supposed to be. So, I mean, I could be just reading too much into things, but maybe Brian Lee O'Malley ended up doing the art for it. Maybe. Once again, I, I, I researched and I couldn't find why Snot Girl got delayed. Yeah, no, I, when when um when these tweets started going out for these questions, one of the first things I thought of, wait a minute, what happened to that Snyder? It was Snyder and Lemire, wasn't it? Yeah. What happened to that book? Couldn't find a single thing about why it was mm-hmm. delayed. Didn't come out. I, nothing. The nothing. only articles are the ones where it was originally announced. Yeah. And no, like even like looking on forums and stuff. No one's. Nope. It seems like everyone's forgotten about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a little odd. Yeah, I mean they both have been really busy, but right. you would think Image would have made an announcement. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um, how about you? Um, so I broke up my list the same way you did. So for comics, I only had one just because I'm really trying not to get hooked on any new series. So I just had the Black Panther series by Tom Nasi Coates. Oh yeah, um, which very excited by. Especially after reading the interviews he's given about how much he knows about these characters and how much he wants to integrate the old, the old past history for him. And that's a limited, right? I believe so, yeah. 12 issues, I think? I don't know if there was a number. Um, I think it's 12. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it's 12 issues. But really excited. Really excited for that one. Um, in terms of movies, Civil War, obviously. Deadpool. Yeah, no shit. 
uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange, Rogue One, and the Killing Joke animated film, which I was just reminded about oh, yeah. that it's coming out this Is year. Hamill voicing? I think so. It better be Hamill. Yeah, and I think it's out. I think I want to say it's out sometime in the summer, like around okay. the time of San Diego Comic Con. Uh, for television, Daredevil season two, which is yeah. soon. Luke Cage, which I'm assuming is in the fall of this yeah, year. Yeah, that makes sense. They said every six months. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Hulu series based on a Stephen King novel called uh, 112263, mm. which is a time travel novel. Man goes back in time, tries to stop the Kennedy assassination. Great book. Um, want to see how that turns out. And Negan appearing in Walking Dead. Really excited about that. Just to see well, that was, Are you really excited about Negan or Lucille? Oh man, Lucille. I think it's more Lucille than anything else. I want to see what kind of damage <laughs> takes place with that. Yeah, and what how far they're gonna push it. Yeah, yeah. Uh and then for video games, it just had one, the Telltale Walking Dead Michonne series. Um, oh, that's cool. I think it's supposed to be it's a, slated to be a mini series, and considering the other ones have been six episodes, this is probably gonna be out three or four. Is it standalone or is it set in one of the other two universes? It's actually set in the comic universe. It's okay. supposed to take place between when she disappears in The Walking Dead, between one twenty six and one thirty nine. Oh, when she's like a pirate? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a there was a short trailer release that didn't really have a lot of information there. Oh, but, wow. I, I mean, really... it looks the way you expect the Telltale Walking Dead game to be, but the fact that it's Michonne and it takes place during those, yeah. that, that timeline where you have no idea what she did, she just shows up on a boat and she's a pirate now, that's freaking cool. Yeah, I really want to see that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm going to have to play, play that game. Yeah, so that that's going to be really exciting, and that's that's what I had. I mean, I'm sure I missed tons of things because this just swimming in you know this great time to be alive for geek culture with everything that's coming out yeah. so for tweets for this a nerdy pop guy whose twitter has at nerdy pop guy said coats black panther can't come out soon enough i definitely agree with that and fist of country twitter handle at fist of country wrote hashtag batman v superman next question aside from panel discussion what other podcasts are you keeping up with um, so I listen to a lot, so just rattle them off. Uh, Song Exploder, Hound Tall with Moshe Kasher, You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes, Nerdist to a lesser degree than it has been in the past, um, Reply All, This American Life, Radio Lab, Joe Rogan Experience, Fat Man on Batman, which has been great, Men in Blazers, and Welcome to Night Vale, obviously. I actually have so many I can't remember now. <laughs> yeah. No, for me, I I'll I have a lot of of series like the one I just mentioned earlier, uh, Orbital and Conversation, where I they're like a lot of interview podcasts, so I'll listen to them when there's a good interview. Right. So like I have probably thirty podcasts in my queue. I'll just keep refreshing. There's only certain ones that I I listen to every single episode. Right. But there's a, a lot that I'll like. I'll still occasionally listen to an episode of Hollywood Babylon mm-hmm. or. Or like I said, the Orbital Conversations is one of those ones that if there's a person that I want to listen to, I'll right. listen to. Of the ones that I listen to every single episode on a regular basis um, would probably be Make It and Tell Everybody by Dan Barry. It's a comic uh, creator podcast where he interviews um, creators and about their process. And he kind of does this Andy Kaufman sort of thing where he plays this like completely ignorant character. So he asks... 
the really basic questions that most journalists wouldn't ask, like where do you get your ideas and um, what do you use? And so kind of the basic questions, but uh, he's a professor, he teaches cartooning. And so he said that a lot of his students were afraid to ask those sort of rudimentary questions for fear of being told that there were stupid questions. Yeah, yeah. So when he does the podcast, he asks those questions because hmm. they are so good questions. They're just good questions that sometimes people get that are so uh, predictable that most journalists wouldn't go there. Right. So he asks those questions like, where do you get your ideas? Like I said, and it's, it's a really, really great podcast. And what's amazing about Dan Barry is he plays this character and he asks these really rudimentary questions but then when they start talking about it he starts going into really really in-depth detail about their background and about so he's obviously done a lot of research right. and really knows his his the people he interviews and so that's one podcast that even if i've never heard of the person i'll google them figure out who they are and what they do and then listen to the episode and i listen to every single one of them it's pretty cool. great show um i love um also uh for kind of a similar reason, uh, uh, Less Than Live with Kate or Die, Kate Leth's podcast. Um, once again, really fun show. She's really great. So just her personality and her talking about the things that she's reading. And then her interviews are always very insightful. And she usually interviews people that she are either her friends or people that she knows fairly well. So it's kind of almost has that nerdist effect where it's less about a straight interview, more about friends talking. You know what Nerdist was. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. Um, so it's kind of like that sort of, of tone, but with comic creators. Um, so that's a really great show. Um, Welcome to Night Vale. Once again, listen to every single episode of that show. Um, aside from that, you know, I'll, the shows I listen to frequently, but not every episode, Nerdist, um, Hollywood Babylon, still uh, all the Smodcast shows, so like Tell Them Steve, Dave, and... Batman on Batman and Smodcast, and I'll, I'll listen to those occasionally. There's a bunch of other comic podcasts I listen to occasionally. I already mentioned Orbits and Conversation. Um, there's, I think, one called Two Guys with PhD Talking About Comics, I think is what it's called. Um, uh, so many others I can't think of. Um, uh, I also listen to Design, uh, or, uh, Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Um, there's just a whole bunch of things that... I have subscribed to that I've listened to either in the past or I still listen to that I'll just refresh and if an episode looks interesting I'll listen to it um, and usually a lot of my find like for example um, uh, a while back I, I after I listened or I read Space Dumplings I wanted to listen to a bunch of stuff with Craig Thompson so I googled or I did in the iTunes store Craig Thompson and found a bunch of interviews that he mm -hmm. did so I subscribed to all those podcasts and so now, you know, once again, if there's a creator that I, I want to listen to, right? and I did the same thing with Scotty Young, and so I'll find shows that way, and then just kind of keep them in my queue, mm -hmm. so if interesting things pop up, then I'll listen to it. <clears throat> we had one tweet for this question, Nerdy Pop Guy, Twitter handle at Nerdy Pop Guy wrote, how to be amazing is, well, amazing. And I've heard good things about that too, it's with uh, Michael Ian Black. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think that about does it um, for 2015 as well as this episode of panel discussion. <laughs> um, originally, we had slated uh, Dark Knight Returns to be our January pot, our January book club. At this point, it'll probably be more of like our February book club um, since we, we got a late start on this episode. So I would say uh, pay attention. We'll probably start tweeting out questions for Dark Knight Returns. 
So let us know your thoughts. We'll probably be covering, um, obviously we'll be covering the book Darknet Returns. I'm going to try to watch the animated adaptation. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll try, probably be talking about that, um, as well as Dark Knight 3, and then um, uh, expectations and stuff for um, Batman versus Superman. So anyways, that about does it for this episode of Panel Discussion. Remember to follow us online at Panel Discussion. Um, until next time, uh, I'm at Mr. Kyle Rose. And I'm at Blue Moon Felix. And remember, comics are literature too.